You're listening to Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. Okay, welcome to the new episode of Yoshi Den. I'm back in Los Angeles. Actually, I'm closer to Los, uh, LAX airport. And I'm here finally with my great friend Stanley Chen. Stan Chen, um, very interesting guy, great friend of mine. Um, I met him through stand-up comedy in Seattle. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what you said, late 90s? Uh, I started doing stand-up, I think, around 97. So That's it's got to be late in 90s. Seattle. We met yeah. in the late 90s. Yeah. And um, you're also... Uh, obviously, um, not obviously, but you're a pilot for FedEx, uh-huh. um, and you're one of the few real funny comedian with actually with a real job, like <laughs> real you. professional job. That's a good compliment. Thank you. <coughs> and yeah. um, so, I, you know, I want to talk to Stan about comedy, his career in Navy and and uh, FedEx and military. His his interest, very interesting family. I have to kind of drag it out of him, <laughs> and then um, maybe a little bit of. Uh, his wife's obsession with Disney. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. And your son's uh, love, <laughs> love, love for and passion for music. And, sure. Uh, and uh, so on and so forth. But um, you're, you're, we're, this is what, April 11th, right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, your, your wife and the kid went back today. Right. They yep. were here. They came out. We spent a, you know, we'll probably get into this, but we spent a whole week out here in uh, LA, my wife and my son who's 18 years old uh william uh so they got here saturday no they got here sunday uh a week ago so right. uh we spent the last uh, six days uh here in la going around and uh, doing kind of music centric stuff that uh william can kind of get mm-hmm. exposed to the uh the music industry out here and and Yoshi was very helpful in facilitating meetings with people who who were in one way or another connected with uh uh, music or working on sound production, so uh, I think it was very educational for William, and uh, I had a great time. I mean, uh, just you know, hanging around L.A. and meeting sure. different people. So I really had a lot of great, a lot of fun, and my wife did too. She enjoyed it, especially after <clears throat> the horrible, horrific winter we had in the Midwest. And, just and you live in Indianapolis. Yeah, mm-hmm. live in live in Indianapolis uh, on the north side of Indianapolis. It's called uh, Carmel. Uh, they Which call it, they call it caramel. Uh, if you say Carmel, they'll they'll immediately correct you. It's Carmel, Indiana. Because Carmel is in Northern California. Right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't matter how you pronounce it. Both they're both considered upper middle class area. You know, it's a nice area for sure. It's a yeah. It's okay. Yeah, you you think it's a nice area, Yoshi? I don't. I think that's the first time I ever heard you say Carmel. Indiana is somewhere you like to go, or it's a nice place. I, I think if you have a professional job and uh, you have a family, I think it's a terrific place to raise a normal kid. Okay. I, I do that, but yeah. I don't. I don't have a wife and kids, so I don't think it doesn't appeal to me. But um, I, I have to say, during the Super Bowl, the, the, the Indianapolis yeah. really shocked me. Yeah, it did re- a great job. It, it really shocked me because for them to host in America is the biggest TV event. Every year, mm-hmm. where over 100 million people watching in the states, right. and to be um, 
great host and accommodating. Right. Um, only criticism I, I, I have for Indianapolis during the Super Bowl is they probably need more hotels and restaurants. Yeah. Uh, there were just way too many people, and uh, I think that was the difficult part. Well, I think part of the success uh, of the Super Bowl was a number of factors. Uh, first of all, I thought the weather held out. It sure. Was, it, you know, it could have been a miserable snowstorm. I mean, if you remember... What year was it? They played in Dallas, and there was like a horrible ice storm. The Super Bowl. Oh yeah, that's like f- within first three Super Bowls. Yeah, um, just terrible. Well, was it Dallas or was it in uh, uh, Green Bay? Like when Dallas, uh, when they had the new stadium, they had the Super Bowl down there, and the weather was terrible. Okay. Um, you know, like ice sheets falling off the side of the stadium. By the way, those of you who listen to this show overseas, I know you don't give a shit about <laughs> Super Bowl, but anyway, go ahead, Stan. Um, but. Uh, uh, they, Indianapolis poured a lot of money into getting the Super Bowl. I mean, they did invest in making new hotels. I mean, the JW Marriott that was new, uh, and also building a new uh, airport terminal. Sure. I, I don't know if you you flown in the new airport. I flown in the, sh- oh, the old one, but this new one was great. But yeah. I, I have to say that was the first Super Bowl I have uh, attended. Yeah. I attended the Super Bowl city. I did not attend the actual game, but when I was going down the escalator. Um, there was all this media type. It was like you could feel the buzz and yeah. energy in the air. And the Indianapolis yeah. that weekend was the center of the universe. And it was nice that everything was fairly centrally located. You didn't. Yeah. I mean, once you got into the downtown area, you could walk to everything. Everywhere. The hotels, yeah. the bars, the stadium. So that was great, too, that you didn't have to, like, drive all over the place. And So, I, I yeah, it was a great success. I don't know if they're going to get it. Get it back anytime soon, but they'll get it back. Um, I'm, I'm sure within like ten years, uh, I, I would be surprised. Yeah, I mean but we'll see. I mean, you know, who wants to go to the, who wants to go to a Super Bowl where it's cold? I mean, New Orleans and Miami, those mm. those are always very successful. It's in Phoenix uh, next year, so it, it's it's very hard to compete with the warm weather places, yeah. but it can be done. And um, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that. I love that stadium. Uh, what's name? Something Oil Stadium? Lucas Oil. Lucas. Yeah. Really, nothing. I don't think it has anything to do with Indianapolis, or it was whoever the highest bidder was who mm-hmm. got the name. So it's it's not uh, anything from Indiana, I believe. And and, and just one last note about uh, football in Indianapolis. I I um I, I'm glad I saw one game in Indianapolis yeah. with yeah. the New England Patriots right. and. Um, uh, Peyton Manning, amazing game, amazing game, amazing and, uh, game. That was that was the year we did go to the Super Bowl, which I think was it two thousand nine. It was the year we went to the Super Bowl and lost to New Orleans. But um, yeah, Sunday night game. So it was on NBC Sunday night. Uh, so obviously a big rivalry between the Patriots and uh, um, uh, the Colts. And for those of you uh, listening to this game overseas, it's very similar to let's say Manchester. <laughs> United. Oh, no, 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 no. Better one is Madrid, Real Madrid yeah. versus Barcelona. Okay, so that huge two two powerhouse teams. Two powerhouse with two superstars: Tom Brady for New England Patriots and uh, Peyton Manning for then uh, Indianapolis. Right. So Yoshi and I got tickets, and Yoshi flew out. We they were not good tickets. They were up in the um, end zone, nosebleed section. But it was it was a great game. I think it was probably one of the greatest games I've ever seen live. Definitely live. And on TV, uh, if you remember the game, uh, Patriot or, or, or the Colts were trailing the whole game. I think going in the fourth quarter, they were down at least twenty-one points. Is that right? Yeah, they were they were down at least twenty-one points going in the fourth quarter. They, then they came back 
And the reason why it was somewhat, it wasn't controversial, but um, if you don't follow American football, this doesn't make any sense. But um, I think it was fourth and one or fourth and two, and New England Patriot, yeah. instead of kicking a field goal right. or, or punting, punting, right? They, uh, they, held they, they, they went, they went for it. And then um, at the time when that happened, uh, because they ended up losing the game, a lot of people were angry. Be- <laughs> yeah. Or, 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 or Questioning angry. Belichick. Belichick. Yeah. But looking back, it was a brilliant uh, move because it's a calculated risk, and I really respect him for doing that because I think mm. a lot of coaches are all way of thinking, and Belichick was way ahead of time. Yeah. Essentially, they took a chance trying to score, and they had to because knowing Pete Manning could score, even with a minute left, that, got, that motherfucker right. will come in. Oh, and, it was amazing. Mm. And I actually have that. I talk about that game in my comedy act. And, and of course, just in front of a, uh Indianapolis audience. But I talk about like how we were there, and if you remember, we were surrounded by Patriot fans who right. flew in with their stupid Boston accents going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that, that Belichick, he's wicked smart, you yeah. know. He is. Yeah, but I just love that. I mean, that we came back and then at the end of the game just walking out with them and their broken spirits. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> like just seeing how I, – I say it's the first time I ever got my first non-sexual erection. Because <laughs> just just seeing how defeated they were, and they were just cocky the whole game. Because sure. I mean, they were winning, and you know, it it, it kind of got past the point where like fights started breaking out in the in the sure. uh, stadium. You know, it's like at the end of the game where like you have nothing to lose, and you just people just angry and you know getting in fights. But and, and just amazing that we came back from that game. I loved it. it was I. I, I just love the game. I have so much respect for those two franchise, and uh, I, you know, I'm a Seahawks fan, so I don't really have like a one way or another. I really respect both yeah. quarterbacks, and um, it, it's it's just always great. It's like a you know big heavyweight fight, yeah, or you know a major tennis tournament. The last two players, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a clash of titan. And um, if you if you don't know. Uh, if you don't follow American uh, football, but I'm uh, just believe me when I say this, it's 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 Messier versus Christian Ronaldo. It's, yeah. it's it's that level of a competition here, and uh, I was really happy to go, and it was really enjoyable. It was, yeah. I was a little puzzled, but after thinking about it and reading some of the criticism, I just thought it was a smart, calculated move in Belichick. And, yeah, uh, he he did it to he did it because he wanted to win. So right, right, that was a good. That was a good game, and you kind of mentioned yourself being a Seahawks fan. Maybe it kind of speaks to my conversion towards the Midwest, but when the last Super Bowl, I rooted for Denver because I wanted Manny to win. Yeah. And, and everyone just assumed, you know, because me growing up in Seattle, that I was rooting for the Seahawks. For those of you who don't fo- like, once again, uh, <laughs> American football. I'm sorry to pa- all you. Paint Manny was the Tibet. number one overall pick in 96 or 97. He mm-hmm. was number one. He was picked right. by Indianapolis Colt. And because of an injury and a concern, the last year he played, he technically didn't play last year when yeah, he, he was with Indiana, He no. was injured. Indianapolis Cole had an opportunity to get a number one overall pick. They pick Andrew Locke. Right. And to talk about a franchise that ended up picking two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, they're very, very lucky oh, because amazing. quarterback is the most important part in, in NFL yeah. football. And they were put in a really tough spot. And no one was at fault. It's unfortunate. But it was the franchise made the best decision for them yeah. to pick Andrew Locke, and it was good uh, good thing that uh, Manning left for Denver Broncos, right. uh, who ended up in Super Bowl this year. Unfortunately, they got beaten by Seattle Seahawks. But um, 
badly. Um, yeah. So it, I was torn because I do like Peyton Manning a oh, lot. I do. And, and, and really, um, it, it, there was no glee in my part. And I was shocked to Seattle. See how beat that team as bad as they did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought I they were going to win by three points, but not like that. Yeah. They, was, it, they totally creamed them. And, you know. So, um, at, anyway, enough with, with American uh, uh, football. <laughs> And that's the thing with my podcast. I have no idea where the conversation is going. So. <laughs> you you will never find me discussing that much football with anybody. I can never. I'm good for about maybe three sentences of professional football, and you really see the depth of my ignorance. But anyways. So um, uh, before we continue, you know, Stan, you know, he's very modest when it comes to this, but uh, he take care of his family and um, he, very generous with his son and daughter. He was here second time in L.A. with his son. Yeah. Because he's going to college next year, and one of the best ways to prepare your son is to help him meet people in the industry he want to get into. So this is second trip in the last six months where each trip it looks like he's actually paying attention. He's yeah. making adjustments. Right. Uh, he's reading the right things, meeting the right people, and see um, music and audio career down the road for him. So, you know, I was really ha happy to um, what little help I can do. So, any of you who is a fan of the show and uh, like the show, um, if you have any idea of helping young uh, William Chen with music or audio internship and business in nature, or if you have any helpful suggestion, just email me at dumbyoshi at gmail.com. Just um, let me know, because um, he's a good kid, 18. He's uh, got a lot of scholarship, ready to go to school where? He's going to be going to uh, Indiana University in Bloomington and studying recording sciences uh, under the uh, Jacobs School of Music. So that's, that's part of IU, but uh, yeah, Jacobs School of Music uh, has a very good reputation. And it's a small program. They only let in about... 15 to 20 students mm -hmm. under the recording sciences uh, but uh, re we uh, went there last year and took a tour of the place sure. and William was very impressed with uh, the facilities and the fact that uh, there's a lot of performances there at Jacob School like you know orchestra and they got an opera theater so sure. there are a lot of opportunities to record stuff and and, and um, and work at your your trade of recording. So I, I guess they kind of describe the program as kind of like you you are a tradesman and you're sitting there doing a lot of stuff. Sure. Uh, you know, working and actually doing recording. So um, he's he's excited. He was he had to um, actually submit a portfolio of his stuff that he had recorded. Yeah. Submitted <clears throat> to the school with an app uh, with a. Um, an application and an essay and he had to go for an interview and uh, I guess they really liked him because you know he did get that scholarship uh, um, and we weren't expecting that at all so he's and that's the guess, uh, best surprise isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. so if, if so if, if you were a friend of the show and you could help somehow help him willing with that and if you're especially if you're in Indianapolis area or Bloomington yeah just email me and let me know so. yeah that'd be great all right, Stan. I I know we want to cover like, you know, your love of comedy, golf, and I'm I'm curious about your Navy and you're a pilot for Federal, Federal Express. Yeah. And um, but you and uh, of course we met in the comedy and things like that. But let's talk about the important part, most important thing that really intrigued me about your background, your family. So okay. Um, so, you, you <clears throat> your father and mother are from mainland China. Yes. 
and then um, you have their first generation. First generation, right. they come here, and I guess some of your family members ended up staying in China. Yeah, after the communists take over, what 1948? Yeah, I'm talking about my father's <laughs> side. Mm-hmm. Um, What's your dad's name? Matthew. Matthew, middle name Fan, F-A-N. Matthew Fan Chen. But um, did he change? But he was born with a, originally like a real Chinese name. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay, but Matthew was adopted name when he right, moved here. Okay, right. Um, so he was, yeah. As I said, he was born in China, um, uh, real young during World War II and uh, whatnot. He was the youngest of, I think, five children. Mm-hmm. So he had uh, three other brothers and a sister, and he was the youngest. So. Um, my grandfather on my dad's side uh, was um, in Chiang Kai-shek's cabinet. He was like a, uh, I think he, my dad says he was like the head speech writer for him. So is, 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 was there, sorry to interrupt, was there ever a talk? Did they feel like they, they took on the wrong side, the losing side? Because if you don't know the Chinese history, yeah. we, we, it was basically come <laughs> down to Chairman Mao's army and Chiang Kai-shek's army and Chiang Kai-shek lost. They fled to the island of Taiwan in 1948. Right. And uh, was there any sort of repercussion or regret on your father's sides? Like my father, well, my father didn't have a, really have a choice at the time whether he stayed in China or not. He was so young mm-hmm. that he, he uh, him and um, the uh, second to youngest son, they both left with uh, my grandfather and mother and initially went to Hong Kong and eventually made it to Taiwan and then my father came over in the 50s for college but, but why but, did the rest of the family stay when the father left with your dad? Well the thing was is that they were they were all grown up so so giving a choice they decided to they stay there. They decided to stay. Even though the dad was on the losing side. Right right. Huh. Yeah I mean you know it'd be, as I said it'd be real nice if you interview with my dad and you can probably get more details on on what happened i mean it's still kind of sketchy for me i'm probably not getting all the details right sure um so my dad didn't have you know my dad eventually you know he went to school he went to university of michigan uh met my mom there um he was an engineer um eventually ended up working for boeing uh as an engineer moved to seattle and that's where i was born and raised in seattle Mm -hmm. and um, he was an engineer initially for Boeing, but then eventually switched over to sales, so right. uh, commercial sales. So he did not have contact with his older brothers and sisters. He had no idea what happened to him. Um, Be- because we ha- really had, we didn't, okay, so ni- 1972, Nixon finally Yeah, Nixon went, came up, went over for a visit. They sent, um, I, th- I think the ping pong diplomacy. We start kind of uh, trying to have a backdoor relationship with China. We were concerned with dealing with Russians, and um, instead of fighting Russian Chinese, we the Nixon was master of diplomacy. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, instead of fighting both countries, we should unite with China to fight the people that Chinese even hated more than Americans, which was Russians. So. Yeah, Kissinger went uh, made a connection through China via Pakistan. Eventually, we made an agreement secretly, and this is this is the reason why I I think uh, WikiLeaks, even though that stuff is good, when it comes to diplomacy, you have to have some secret mm-hmm. so you can make things like this happen. And yeah, and uh, it was during Vietnam War. We had a lot of concern in Asia, 
So, um, and only Nixon could have done something like that, where he was an anti-communist. Yeah. Uh, so, brilliant part on Nixon, Kissinger. Oh, my mom loves Nixon. So do I. Yeah, just in terms of his <laughs> foreign diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thought he was yeah very good at that. Um, and I think he understood Chinese people, and Chinese people respected him too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but it wasn't until uh, and they didn't talk for thirty years, right? Your dad and his uh, brothers. Y- yeah, yeah. I yeah, he had no no way of connecting mm-hmm. with them. But as I said, uh, he was a salesman for Boeing. So it was about ooh late seventies, eighties. Carter. Wait, Carter took over office. What seventy six? Six. Okay. January seventy six. So seventy. So, uh, so Carter kind of. Uh, was it 76, 77? Well, one yeah, of yeah, yeah, it was 70. Because Reagan took over January uh, of 80. 1981. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, yeah, Carter had his four-year term. But he, he really kind of uh, increased the amount of uh, diplomacy between the two countries. So my dad went over, it must have been late 70s, with Boeing, uh, trying to sell airplanes to China that way. And then he was able to... Uh, find his brothers and sisters and, and oh I didn't know that so he he went there's a group of Boeing business people went to China yeah yeah and he was one of them yeah yeah was he the only Chinese people in that group you know I want to say yeah there I think he was okay yeah he was the the only Asian salesman for the company uh, but uh, yeah he you know he sold to a lot of other Asian countries like sure. Singapore uh, Singapore Airlines China Airlines but um, so he went over in the late seventies. Uh, Do you Boeing. remember as a kid? Because we're talking like forty years ago, forty-five years ago, right? About what him going? Oh, he traveled a lot. I mean, but you as a kid, when when he told you he's going to China, do you remember that? Uh, kind of vaguely. I mean, I know. I mean, he spent a lot of time over there. Mm-hmm. Um, after a while, China, for the longest time, I don't know if it's still true, but uh, for the longest time, China was Boeing's number one export country they they sold i it, believe it yeah. you know because you know you're you're here's a country that's huge and it has a lot of people and it really had no commercial airline infrastructure to speak of so they were really hungry for airplanes so um yeah well, so are malaysia <laughs> yeah they need at least one mm-hmm. right? um so uh so he went over there a lot uh reconnected with his uh you know family yeah and actually my aunt her daughter came over to the states and stayed at our house and um uh, went to college uh so he he put her through college and and he helped out a lot of other family members with stuff sure yeah so he, he tried to help out but uh yeah, so the you know they separated, but the the family members in China they did well, you know, like my my aunt, she was uh, did very well in the government. Um, uh, she was a uh, I don't know, like a public health. But they didn't suffer because the the dad and uh, several members were side of a chain. You know, I don't know if, uh, specifically if, if there was any repercussions for that. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. I know. I know that they had problems during the Cultural Revolution. That was like mid to late mid sixties, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know, for um, and for those of you who don't know, it, it was basically well, what it came down to was Chairman Mao getting rid of his enemies. Yeah. Well, like in in like punishing intellectuals and yeah and whatnot. And he was yeah. horrendous imbecile, like uh, ignorant thugs, really. And they were getting a lot of intellectual 
people with glasses or any, any sort of professional degrees, and right. they were getting up. Right. All, they were getting up all sorts of uh, tools for farming. So, yeah, uh, send them to uh, re-education camps. Yeah. So the f- the food production dropped, and there was quite a bit of starvation. And you even hear stories about cannibalism oh. during that time. And yeah. um, um, I think the gentleman that your dad eventually met, and the person I keep talking to your dad because it just really fascinated <laughs> the yeah, shit you out of me. Bring it up a lot. Was Dan Dan, Dan Xiaoping? I'm sorry, I apologize if I'm not saying the his yeah. name right. Dan Xiaoping, um, yeah. He is um, right after Chairman Mao. He was instrumental in converting Chinese economy to more free co- capitalism, raise uh, living standards. Although I think his reputation was tarnished in June fourth of uh, nineteen eighty nine with the Tiananmen Square. Sure. Something. Because I think they, they, he got he was an old man at the time. He was very very scared. But he was instrumental, and uh, he traveled to United States in late seventies, nineteen seventy nine. Uh, yeah, I think that might have been around that. Yeah, definitely around that time. Frame. And your father was the translator for Boeing. Yeah, right? yeah. He, so he did. He was in Seattle, and uh, he took a tour of the Boeing plant. My dad was the translator. And I think I saw the picture too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think he like you. You you met my dad out in Vegas, and he was talking about it a little yeah. bit. And I think like Deng Xiaoping had a cold or something like sure. that. He was kind of sick or or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice if you get my dad on the podcast and i'm sure he'd give you a lot of stories about about trying to sell airplanes mm-hmm. in china i mean he has a lot of stories about uh, about that and working for boeing for all those years and if you're if you're if you're a young person can imagine but uh Deng Xiaoping was instrumental in turning china into number two biggest economy of the world and if you would have told somebody 35 years ago um that China is going to be that big of economy. I don't think most people believe it because China really was third world oh, country. Yeah. Oh yeah. And <clears throat> to surpass Japan at the time would have been fantasy, but right. Don Xiaoping uh, made it happen. He's famous for that old um, saying um, because he believed in pragmatism. He said something, that's, I'm paraphrasing, but what difference that does it make the color of the cat as long as they catch the uh, rat. Yeah, okay. And uh, he basically was, he just did whatever work and tried and, um, you know, um, interesting guy. He was, I think he was educated in Paris when he was a young oh, revolutionary. Really? Okay. Yeah, there's a picture of him with a beret with um, um, like a French bread, like, like uh, just like um, Ho Chi like Minh. Ho Chi Minh, yeah. Yeah, he was educated in Paris and um, believe me, I'm no... F- fan of communism but you when you know a greatness you know he he um Mao Deng Xiaoping and who's the um oh my god chewing lie was another mm-hmm. the 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 iron cobra of a diplomacy and um Henry Kissinger said he's never made anybody more tougher and a uh, smart negotiator like that really? so yeah China is full of those giants yeah. and I have a lot of admiration it's amazing the the changes it's, it's made um when I was in college in the uh, mid '80s, mm-hmm. uh, we took a family vacation over to China. Um, you know, we're in Beijing, and uh, where else did we go? I mean, we took that this like river cruise down the Yellow River. And that was your first time to China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my first time to China. But I mean, you know, going back now, there's no comparison in terms of you know how modern it is now you know you go to like shanghai or anywhere like shenzhen or guangzhou you know i travel all those places with fedex and you just see these 
miles upon miles of like skyscrapers just recently built with probably within the last half decade you know just amazing the growth when you when you go back on. do you go and meet out with your, any of your uh, relatives or is that difficult uh i have i mean when i was i think when i first got on with fedex i did a couple trips over to beijing i was mm-hmm. able uh to see uh my relatives and that was back when uh after boeing my dad got hired by american airlines and he was over in uh, working for American Airlines in Beijing for, mm-hmm. he did that for about ten years, so that was fun. And and and, and are you? I guess you you are shocked how much difference you notice from let's say oh, about almost thirty years ago. Yeah, when you went to and then um, yeah, it's 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 totally drastically different. Yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. Is it more? Do you feel optimism with Chinese people, or is it? Are Chinese people natural optimistic uh, you can, people? You see the prosperity. I mean, mm. I've read reports about, you know, there is rampant unemployment and, and stuff. Not to mention corruption. Corruption. And I'm certainly, you know, you, you see the, the prosperous cities. You don't necessarily, you know, I don't necessarily see the, you know, the, the, the country or the rural areas. But, yeah, you, you do see the, you do see the prosperity, mm-hmm. what's going on there, so... And overall, your family, you, you I, I know you don't speak Mandarin Chinese, but um, when you met them, it's a pretty pleasant experience, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can we jump for a second? And uh, yeah. I, I, it might be a touchy subject for you and especially your dad, but the part of the reason why your dad ended up working for American Airlines because, in my opinion, Boeing make a pretty yeah. typical dumb decision when it comes to bi- doing business in Asia. Can we talk a little bit of that? Sure. Um, yeah, he... Uh, you know, for for many many years, he was in uh, the uh, commercial sales part of Boeing, and uh, you know, sales very much the company man. You know, mm-hmm. uh, worked hard, was always traveling, but uh, basically, it came to the point where he was up for up for the promotion to be the lead salesman for the, the China market, and they gave it to somebody else. Uh, and that, you know, if any more than anything, I don't know. I think he was angry about it, but I think he was more hurt by the fact that they didn't, yeah, give him that promotion. And um, so, yeah, then he he retired shortly thereafter. Um, I I I think um, I I think in North America, I I think um, I don't know if this analogy makes sense. Probably not for people overseas, but. When David Letterman and Jay Leno was fighting for Tonight Show, yeah. um, I think Letterman probably could have gone Tonight Show, but he didn't aggressively put himself in the race yeah. trying to grab it. I think that might have been uh, the way your dad did it. Whereas Leno was so aggressive, you know, he did yeah. whatever necessary to get it. No one's right or wrong here. Right. But what's, what strikes me about your dad's situation is... He he lost to a guy, and I don't know the guy. He could possibly be a nice person and be a competent executive, but he was he's a white person, doesn't know anything about Asia, doesn't speak Mandarin Chinese. It's very strange to me that here's a man born in China. Yeah, right. Speak the language. Sure. Understand all the etiquette. Right. It's his country. He thinks like them. And when you know, if you think, if you think, if you could think like a customer, you definitely could provide a service and understand right. their needs. And he's going back to China. He was translated for Dan Xiaoping. And it just seems like, and he was also an engineer. He knows the product he's, right. he's selling. Uh, 
this is a kind of story that infuriates me because because of that sort of dumb decision, the Boeing probably lost tons of business to airports. Right, right. You know? and, and, and yeah, for the longest time, Boeing was the only commercial airline manufacturer selling planes to, mm. to China. Uh, Airbus didn't have a toehold in there. And, and I think you were, you were talking about the Jay Leno and uh, uh, Letterman thing. I think maybe, I think kind of that's right. I don't think my father's very much a, a political person, political animal. Yeah, I think he. He's not he, shameless. Yeah, he, he. Wine and dying. I don't think he probably did that either. He, he, I think he wanted the work to speak for itself. That yeah. he was, you know, very good at what he did, and yeah, um, unfortunately, they went another way. And um, yeah, I think you're right. I think Boeing suffered for it too. Is that you know Airbus now has a has a fairly good share in the. In, not in not China to mention um, that gentleman probably lasted like a year. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't last that long, right? And I remember, I think there was some book that you showed me. I read about your dad in that one book. Yeah. About Boeing, and um, you know, they said the same thing there in the book. Yeah, too. yeah. I think it was a Seattle Times article. I can't remember. It was a they book. Were, there was. Yeah, it was yeah book they were talking the, yeah. about. And yeah, and the, and the thing is, I mean, not only that he he did speak the language, and but I think the Chinese really do value long term relationships. Sure. And. <clears throat> Certainly, my dad had been there long enough. He knew all the people who kind of helped build these airlines sure. in China. So he had long-standing relationships with all these people. Yeah. And when he left Boeing, you know, that relationship went away. So and, 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 and you was, American Airlines were able to gain from that. And you and I were not suggesting if you're a white person, you couldn't possibly do business in China. In this particular situation, I think he probably was ill-equipped or... Your dad would have done much more because he he he's Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you, you know, know and, and I think he had the experience uh, mm -hmm. for it. It wasn't just because he you know could speak Chinese or was was Asian. He he had the experience and the you know he had been there a long time and done well. Sure. You know? So. And not to mention, he understands how Americans think because he was American as well. You know. And yeah. I remember even when I was in college, it's just one of those frustrating things. That if you're if you're a business person, the U.S. market is getting smaller, and the world market is getting bigger. So you really have to think globally. And if you if you don't know a lot about it, then definitely you should hire someone who does. And, yeah. Uh, it, it just, it's just the same story over and over again. Common mistake we make overseas, and like you have to know your customers. Yeah. You have to know what their needs, and uh, you know I'm just you know beating this horse to death but yeah it's just frustrating yeah i think it, it it did really hurt him um mm -hmm. you know because he was very much the loyal company company man sure for all those years so uh so then he retired and went to work for american airlines and who ended and, up probably benefiting from his yeah, knowledge i think they i mm -hmm. think they did um he his primary job was kind of helping uh american airlines get a route into into china sure uh and they eventually succeeded in doing that so and, 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 you know, uh, like I said, someday I, I would like to talk to your dad and record. But uh, last time I saw him in Vegas f for your family reunion. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love... I don't personally practice it because sometimes I don't have stomach to do some... I mean, I've done some horrible stuff. So I'm very choosy. <laughs> I'm very choosy when physically get violent with somebody or s throw somebody under the bus. But they have to give me a reason. Yeah. But overall, but you, it, I do get queasy on some things. 
but Chinese politics, Chinese history, and yeah. currently all this like corruption and bribery and who's in right. power. Chinese people are tough. I mean, people in that business in China are just tough people, and um, you gotta. I'm, I'm just a um, big fan of their pragmatism, and you know, I, I guess that's why. Even though Nixon was such a dishonest person, boy, when it comes to diplomacy, Chinese and uh, Kissinger and Nixon, it, it's such a fun thing to read. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think at the time when you met my dad in Vegas, was was it that whole scandal about uh, I forget <coughs> their names, the the wife poisoning that guy? I I'm flaking over because yes, she, she her son, um, in China. Uh, in English, they call them princeling. These yeah. are very rich, privileged kids of powerful Chinese Politburo members, and um, they send their the kids over to the states. Yes, and the salary for these politicians is very low, but somehow they have millions of dollars and yeah, millions of dollars hidden away. Anyway, her son, I don't, I remember, I don't remember their names. Sorry, I apologize. Her son had a business dealing with this English businessman. And something didn't go right. Make the story short. She ended up having him poisoned and, and killed. Right. The, the the wife of this very powerful Politburo member who would right. have been next premier of China. Is it Bao? Bo? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Sim 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 similar to that. Yeah. And um, well, needless to say, he's in prison. She has a life uh, imprisonment. And the son, I'm not quite sure if he's in China. He shouldn't go back. If he is in China, you know he's lost a lot of power. But all those people in in uh, Politburo higher ups, they got money hidden away everywhere. Sure. There's always corruptions. Even this uh, current uh, prime minister, he seemed like a pretty honest guy. Yeah. But his wife's family, they're all like very questionable business practice. This one is head of a construction who does business with the government. It's, it's that sort of thing. You yeah. Know? It just, it's, so I think average Chinese feel frustrated, and uh, there's no sense of like fairness to it, and. I think if anything, that's the biggest problem in China, dom domestic issues, I think. You know, every time they get problem, they want to say anti-Japanese this and that. But domestically, the biggest problem is you have a size of a U.S. population, two, three hundred million people, mm -hmm. and they're trying to become middle class, and there's, there's not enough jobs, and these farmers are moving into yeah. the cities and stuff, you know. So this is like one of the biggest migration in history of mankind wow. I, I i don't know how the chinese they're, they're not growing fast enough to accommodate them yeah even and though the economy is growing like gangbusters still not fa enough. fast enough yeah and chinese people are uh, good business people and they love prosperity so yeah. I, I i'm i don't did know they stop the one child <coughs> policy i thought i read that somewhere it sounds like they're trying to change that because it's scary the whole way things are skewing. I mean, you know, the Chinese uh, wanting, you know, everybody wants a boy. Yeah, the fast, the family last name, and so on. Yeah, but you know, if, if things are skewing just towards have just having males, that's kind of scary. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. I guess I might be making this bullshit up, but I, I think when you, when the gender are not close to fifty-fifty. If there's too many men, well, as you know, when men get horny and don't have a wife or girlfriend, they're gonna get angry and aggressive, and like that sounds like a really bad formula. Uh, men will fight over women, you yeah. know. And I, I think unless they they're able to convert to 
them into homosexuality, I think <laughs> yeah. you're, going, you're going to have problems, you know. I was talking to one of my dad's friends. Um, he worked with him at Boeing, but we were like, <coughs> he, he was coming up with an idea of uh, having like a mail order bride system for like women in Latin America who want to hook up with prosperous men in China. You know, g guys who are having a hard time finding. But that's not the problem, though. Prosperous men will always get women. Yeah. Problem is these lower class farmer with no money and no. Yeah. And, 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 and you know. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not attacking farmers, but I think most young modern women probably don't prefer to marry farmer unless you're talking about some millionaire overlord right. farm. Well, yeah. Why would a woman leave her country unless she was going to hook up with somebody prosperous? I guess. Yeah. It's like, what well, I can if I want to marry a dirt poor farmer i just might as well stay in my own country i guess and i think that kind of stuff happened in japan too because i think most well-off well-educated japanese they don't want to marry farmers so these japanese farmers are importing wives from philippines and vietnam and things oh like really that. Mm -hmm. oh, okay and i guess if you're like a really really poor person in china and there's way too many men you can't get a girlfriend what do you think i mean that's a formula for disaster they're going to get angry they can't oh you know, sure and these rich guys will put bill. I saw in this thing on Vice, rich guys will get giant billboard and put their face and how much <laughs> money they make. They're gonna get girls, you know. They're gonna get wives. But just imagine if you're some shrub, you want to work. There's no job. You don't have any money. Yeah. You know. Same thing in the Arab Spring, right? I remember um, that CBS reporter Laura Logan got sexually assaulted by these frustrated Egyptian guys. They're Muslims, but they have such a strict rules about how you conduct your life, and you shouldn't get a girl unless you're married. So yeah. these guys have no money, no job. They don't have an apartment to go take their wife or girl, potential girlfriend. They're f sexually frustrated. Yeah. Once again, you know, you don't have to be genius to figure out that's just uh, uh, not a good spring break destination for, <laughs> no. for girls. Okay. <laughs> but but right now, I guess your dads are happily retired. Yeah, they're. They're uh, living in Bellevue, which is a suburb, very well off suburb of uh, Seattle. And um, within in the suburbs of uh, Bellevue, there's a cold place called Medina, where Bill Gates live. So to give you some idea, that's a really well exclusive area. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I went to uh, Newport High School. That's a a high school in Bellevue, and. I didn't think it was that great when I was going there, but now, it, like U.S. News and World Report, ranked it like one of the top twenty-five high schools in the country. And it's public, right? Uh, yeah, public yeah. high school. And, and you were talking, you were talking to me about like Joey Kurtzman, your old roommate, yeah. used to live in Be Beverly Hills, and like how people like will rent places there just so their kids can go to. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think the same thing happens in the Bellevue area because yeah. they. People want to send their um, kids to this Newport High School, which does have, you know, a huge Asian population now. Uh, it's it's safe. It's fancy. There's a lot of uh, business people f uh, from Nintendo. Mm -hmm. um, was it Genetech, a biotech company? Oh yeah. Uh, you have Microsoft. Right. You have other high tech companies right sure. in Bellevue. It's such a beautiful part. Um, so uh, many of the Athlete also lived there. Yeah. Seahawks, Seattle Mariners. Uh, Ichiro Suzuki, one of the premier baseball players at the time, lived in the Bellevue era too. So yeah. it's a really nice area. So, you know. My parents, I mean, they mm. moved, we moved there in like um, 76. Okay. 
Have you ever? You've never been to my house, have you? No. They bought that house. I mean, it's a nice house. They bought that. It was like sixty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> How big is it? Uh, square footage is probably about at least like I don't know, four to five thousand square feet in Bellevue. Yeah, it's a nice house. What is it like? Two, three, four million dollars? I don't think it's that much. I mean, close to probably close to a mill now, but um, yeah, it's a nice house. I mean, you know, I'll but, say you know, just it's crazy. I mean, it's just kind of how crazy Seattle real estate's gotten over the last. Seattle's one of the great places to live. I mean, if it wasn't for show business stuff, I wouldn't mind living up there. It's really nice. Would you? Yeah, you would go back there. You would want so to go back. I, there? I was surprised. There was a time living in Southern California, L.A. It's um, I I really love down here. It's um, Werner Herzog, the you know great director. Yeah, he was speaking in New York City like five six years ago, and he told everyone in New York that Los Angeles is the most culturally important and most significant city in the whole world, and uh, people in New York City laugh. But he wasn't joking. Yeah. And I, I do think, for me, I love L.A. I like, I'm not one of those guys that hate New York or Chicago right. or Paris. Or whatever. No, I, I love visiting those places because every time I visit those cities, I, I think I come back appreciating L.A. And hopefully we could learn a lot from those cities to make L.A. even better. But for me, L.A. is the city of the future. It mm-hmm. really is. Yeah, you're telling me like... It like faced, New York faces old Europe. Old world over the Atlantic. But um, I think L.A. sees the two future of Latin America and Asia. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's I mean, I think it's, I, you know, I, I come out here a lot. And, you know, we did these two two vacations out here with my son. I think it, L.A. does have a lot to offer. It's mm-hmm. just, I mean, just living in the, the Midwest, Indianapolis, it's, it's all very just kind of plain. And there isn't very much differences out there. Sure. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't want to talk too badly about Indiana, but it almost seems like all these people kind of got to the center of the country and go, all right, that's good enough. Yeah. We can stop here. But, you know, there's just so much to offer here, so much cultural diversity, which I, is great. You know, I, I, can't, I don't even know um, um, how to explain. Uh, explain it but it, it just seems like America's re- so remarkable because people all over the world risk their lives to come here right yeah so those group of people who risk their lives because mostly probably desperate and looking for opportunity mm-hmm. but I think the people who usually take the risk they they were born with certain kind of I think genetic to take a risk and go crazy mm-hmm. places like that so I, I think we are risk takers and adventuresome but especially if you live in California, you have an even higher percentage of people like that risk takers. That's why we have, we have uh, Silicon Valley. You know, I mean, only in America and only in California you could have a place like that where mm. rest of the world try to copy and try to have a Silicon Valley. They can't quite do it. They try to do that similar thing in China and Russia. They can't. They can They can't do it because the rule of law, all these historical things that made it possible to happen in, in California, mm. uh, it's, it's just difficult to replicate because you need the people who are risk takers. And we have entertainment business in Southern California. And this state, we have a lot of problems. Earthquake, riots. We haven't we had a riot in a while, but um, we did have them. It's a little bit of a racial tension. Things are getting better. Uh, budgetary problems and, you know, maybe the public schools are bad. But nevertheless, this state 
bring the risk takers all over the world come here mm -hmm. and because they take risk sometimes bad but when when they hit the jackpot you know that that uh, it's incredible i mean you meet yeah. some of the most incredible people in la and well it's uh, funny California. To, i mean it's funny to talk to you after your yeah you, you know you spent some time in new york in the last few years and then over in europe but it does seem like you have this kind of newfounded appreciation for los angeles Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you've you've never you've never said anything bad about Los Angeles before, but you know, uh, after you left Evil Angel, I think you were ready for a change. Anyways, you wanted to kind of get out of town, but you know, you're back. It seems like you really do have, I don't know, renewed enthusiasm for the city. I I I, uh, I like East Coast, Boston, New York. Philly, even Philly didn't bother me <laughs> compared to ten years ago. <laughs> even DC, but <clears throat> I I think. You know the thing that people always complain about LA from New York that they always say like we're phony here and yeah. uh, too friendly or whatnot. But I, I I think it's because of that. Okay, maybe maybe little, there's a little bit of phoniness, but I just think it's more nuanced things. You just gotta read uh -huh. between the lines when you talk to sure. people. But I think when people are friendly like that, people are willing to take more chance. When you're trying to do something new with your life, and maybe in Brooklyn or Bronx, maybe people's like. Yeah, you ain't shit. You're not gonna do. You're not gonna do a fucking thing. Like, <laughs> get out of here. You know, you're afraid to talk Who about do you it. Think but you are California. But out of all the places, I I just think even your dream it seems absurd. Most people say, "Oh, good, uh, go for it." You know. Yeah. And I I think that kind of encouragement translates into a amazing thing here. Yeah, interesting. Um, <coughs> I mean, this is a 49er state, right? Where people found gold so all of the people from all over the states went to find fame and fortune in, mm -hmm. in, in that area and um, I mean you can't be more fame and fortune seeker than Hollywood and Silicon Valley and yeah, okay. you know it, I, I think uh, California just to me it's incredible and um, I highly highly recommend people to come here and this is a, one of the most diverse states yeah. uh, Asians and Latinos are really um, moving the state and um it seems like black people are moving more to the south. Like Atlanta is a really hot spot for uh, African Americans moving uh -huh. there. But you know, you're talking like maybe in twenty, twenty five, thirty years, white people are going to be minority in this day. Right. You know, it's going to be like Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like it. And uh, <clears throat> uh, you were here so the last five, six days. So let's talk a couple things. Then we'll jump to a couple other things like stand up and stuff. So okay. About the the trip, yeah. So your wife, uh, Karen's white. You're Chinese American. Your son is biracial. Yeah, William Chen. You brought him for vacation, but to meet people. So, um, you got here. What do we do first? We do you remember some of the? Um, I introduced him to whom? Okay, uh, in a sequence. Yeah, I can kind of go through. Uh, so they came out on a Sunday, and it was that Sunday evening. We all went out. You have your uh, podcast audio technician Ernie. Who is roommates with uh, Chris? Oh, that's right. And um, Ariel, yeah, right? Ariel, and uh, we went to dinner. Yeah, and they to both uh, work in the uh, audio uh, industry. Chris, I guess, concentrates more on like feature films. Yeah, and he's a foley, and the foley is someone who yeah. you know, when, like, well, when he says he's like a supervisor, like a sound director, yeah, or supervisor. supervisor. So he tells the foley artists, yeah, what to what do. to do. Um, and I guess he just he's working on or he just worked on like there's a new Fast and Furious parody movie yeah and, like they have like the scary movie parodies sure so he was working on that 
and, and the foley is like let's say um you're you're it's not a dialogue, the, the, but the sounds. For yeah, example, any sound you have. So I, I have a water bottle right here, and let's say uh, two characters talking, and um, he, one of them dropped, dropped the bottle just now, and uh, his job is to make sure all the sounds correspond right. with the, uh, what happened in the movie. Yeah, like footsteps sure. or doors opening. Or uh, explosion, bullet yeah. holes, car races. And um, uh, Chris is incredible. He... he Attention to t detail, meticulous, and he makes sure the song and sounds correct. And sometimes he his job is to make sh make uh, completely new sounds. So imagine if you're watching, you know, mid seventies watching Star Wars movie, right? And uh, you see the sound of uh, Darth Vader breathing and breathing out, and everybody know what that sounds like. Well, somebody had to make that sound, sure. and it was basically made. I think if I remember. Uh, somebody was scuba diving that sound is made from that oh yeah so sometimes they have to manufacture sounds like if a zombie's head got blown up maybe a person have uh, a watermelon and he drop it really hard right. on the ground that sound so yeah. he, he, he he's very creative chris right. is very creative yeah i remember like the um <laughs> star wars like the blaster sounds yeah they got that from like i don't know like there's high tension wires that used to like support I don't know, electricity poles. They would like ah. hit it with a hammer and make that meow, meow mm -hmm. noise. But um, yeah, Chris was Chris and his girlfriend Ariel. They uh, came out and met us for dinner, which was very nice of them. Well, and and ironically, it was across from Vice Office. Oh, that's in, true. In, yeah, in Venice. Yeah, my um. uh, my daughter. Uh, my daughter, she's going to school in New York and studying graphic design. But which school is it? It's the School of Visual Arts. Sounds expensive. Uh, yeah, extreme, <laughs> extremely, extremely expensive for my for what I make. Um, but uh, she's hoping that to get an internship with Vice, which again Yoshi is uh, trying to help facilitate. Yeah, it's gonna happen. Uh, but uh, anyway, so yeah, Chris and Ariel came out. Ariel, uh, she's only twenty two and she's also a oh, supervisor. Yeah. yeah, so very impressive. Uh, she also works, but more on the, the dialogue. TV production stuff. P TV production and dialogue, and that's her specialty. Okay. Right? And uh, Ernie, who does my audio, all three of them, I just noticed, I mean, of course, it's obvious, but if you work in audio, they definitely have a good ears. Yeah. Like, they're really good at hearing. Like, sometimes I, I really have to hear something over multiple times before I catch something. But, yeah, yeah they they all went to the same school. They're masters Yeah, they went audio. to the Art Institute yeah. out here. But it was it was good to see. So we had, uh, obviously, we were at this long table. We went to a Mexican restaurant. We let Will sit closer to them, and they... They just kind of gave their perspective and like what what they did to get where they are sure. and what they would do differently. I was, you know, kind of listening to the conversation. Uh, it's and, and it's kind of a reoccurring theme that a lot of the guys that have talked to Will about sound, they all kind of say, "Oh, you don't need a four year. To, you don't have to go to college for four years mm -hmm. to learn this," which is not necessarily something as a parent you want to hear. You know, no. you want your kid to graduate from college, but I didn't want to sit there and interject like, "Don't listen to them," because obviously we came, you know, want to hear their honest opinion, and they were very nice and gracious to give their time and 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 tell Will and, and try to be very realistic about, you know, how hard the business is. Obviously, well, uh, I, I I think um, I think your concern is is uh, right, and I and and but they're also those guys are right. But the reason I still want him to go to college, and he will go to college, it's because I, I did tell Will briefly, like, 
don't think about yourself as an audio engineering person forever. There will come a time you might even think about going executive route in that business like his grandfather was engineer, right? So college degree is necessary. Um, finish it will give him option to make that decision if you want to do that. If he doesn't finish college, I don't think he will have that option. So yeah. he's a smart kid. He, you know, he, he listens to all sides, but he will make a smart, rational decision for yeah. himself. I and it, you know, mm -hmm. So hopefully he makes it a those four years of college productive, you know, learns as much as he can, mm -hmm. networks as much as he can, learns to learns to network and make connections. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was, uh, that was, uh, I think really good and, and kind of meeting them and seeing how, yeah. And, and they're both very successful and going places. So he's 26, he's 22 and they're both supervisors making shitload of money and, you know, what is it? 55 bucks an hour or something, yeah. which is, uh, unbelievable. So yeah. they're working really hard. Then what happened on Monday? What do we, what do we do Monday? Uh, Monday, I think that was the day that we uh, went to meet up with Ernie at his studio. Ernie Hurtado, who does yeah. the audio for Talking Shit, uh, Mario Hemingway's podcast, and like 15 other ones like Joe Coy and uh, Michael Yo and a bunch of other ones, including mine. And uh, Will and Ernie, they were doing a bunch of stuff in the music audio and stuff like that, right? Yeah, what happened was uh, Will is in the middle of recording an album. Mm -hmm. um, there's a small label in Indiana, and uh, I guess they like what Will does, and they wanted him to record an album. And William, I mean, he has his reasons, I guess it's educational, but he's trying to actually do it old school, mm -hmm. where he's recorded it on reel-to-reel -reel tape. Sure. I mean, nowadays, everything is digital. Is almost exclusively digital, right. So, uh, so he was uh, recording it, and but he did transfer the real real tape over to digital. So he sent the file to Ernie, and um, I guess it didn't. Uh, the file didn't transfer completely correct. So Ernie was giving him a lot of advice. Will felt bad because it wasn't like uh, kind of a true representation of sure. what he did. But so Ernie was very nice to give uh, Will some advice. Uh, Will felt kind of a little bit embarrassed. I think that. Uh, it didn't show like what exactly he was working on, but uh, so but that's I, what we I, did But I think Monday. I think it's good, like you know, uh, it's a good lesson. It's, it's good, for him. good making mistake and learn yeah. from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, I think he learned a lesson to make sure he gets it right. So uh, I, and, I, and I also like the fact that he's doing old school way. It's like if you're going to be a car mechanic, yeah, you could work on a modern car with electronic stuff, but it's kind of nice to start from like. Do an old car with a real mechanical problem and learn from ground up, you right. know. And I think, I think your kid is old school, you know. That's yeah. good for him. Yeah. Oh, and then we uh, on Monday we went to uh, Amoeba Records on Sunset. Is that no? It wasn't that. I think is that right? Amoeba Records. Is that <coughs> was that huge recording uh, record store? Mm -hmm. I think it's on Sunset. Um, but uh, I think that really was. Uh, open Will's eyes. I mean, never seen a record store that big. You sure we didn't go to Malibu and the museum on Monday? Oh, was that? Uh, you're. I think you're right. We did. I think we did both. Okay. We did both because we did. We went up to the uh, Getty Museum in Malibu, and and Will loved That's that right. too because he 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 loves art. So we went to museum then Amoeba Records. I yeah, yeah. We we got a good education on on uh, what Roman men do uh, for fun. <laughs> Yes. Uh. <laughs> this is owned by uh, this is created by Paul Getty, oil, uh, uh, millionaire oil uh, businessman, and he left the two major museums in California. Yeah, one up in the hills and one in Malibu. And, yeah, just uh, yeah. a beautiful. Um, uh, I don't know what, what he, they modeled it after, like an Italian 
museum or villa villa you know? yeah, yeah. yeah just amazing so it had all these amazing uh, works of art um, sculptures sculptures vases uh, so William really did enjoy that uh, he he spent a lot of time looking looking at stuff and it was fun watching him seeing the maturity because I think one of the first time I finally started getting to know him was like five six years ago and all he did was he had a playing card and he was throwing at <laughs> yeah. stuff oh we still find him around the house we still like I'll find him like behind bookcases yeah. and stuff just playing cards but uh, yeah, I don't know if I told you the story how William actually got into playing guitar and stuff. No, we I don't to, remember. We used to have that uh, video game, uh, Guitar Hero. Mm -hmm. You remember? Have you ever played it? No. It's like, you know, I you know what? There was a period where it was crazy popular. Yeah, it was really popular. It's, it's basically. Um, even South Park had an episode about it. Yeah, it's basically you have this like little plastic guitar with buttons on it, yeah. and like you look at the screen, and yeah. like the notes come down, and you push the yeah, the buttons in. at the at the right time. You try to copy it. So William loved the game. He played it for hours on end, and I saw him how much he played it. I go, you know, son, the amount of time you <laughs> waste yeah. playing this game, you can actually waste playing an actual guitar. So I kind of, you know, I said, "Hey, why don't why don't I get you a guitar for Christmas?" And it's kind of one of those things you just throw at a kid. You know, they might play it for a week and then never touch it again. Or in William's case, he he just took off with it. So that's how he really kind of got started in music. Yeah, because uh, you don't come from a musical family, right? No, no, no. I mean, I. I play a little guitar horribly, um, but uh, no, no real music in our family. And I remember like a year and a half, two years ago when I was visiting, there was some kind of show where he was performing outside where all the skateboarders are oh, skating. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. That and was then I was really glad that how good he was, but like I couldn't believe how fucking cold it was. Yeah. And then it was just like, hurry right. and finish this. But yeah. <laughs> right. But your son is just uh, amazing finger movements and like playing, what is it, bass or guitar? What, what he is plays it? guitar. Guitar. Mostly, yeah. I was shocked, like, holy shit, you know, he, he was really playing his heart out. And, yeah, uh, he loves it. And uh, it's He loves it. I, and, you know, I, I, you know, I think, you know, his mother and I would be certainly much happier if he picked a career field that had some stability mm -hmm. or more economic or employment opportunities. But sure. I think you got to try to help your kids out in pursuing what yeah. their passion is. And hopefully that it just it takes care of itself, you know what I'm saying. If you have a passion for something, maybe you'll you'll find a way to make it work and find a way to make a living out of it. And and he, and he's a, he's a smart kid. I mean, he even yeah. told me that he's going to have a second my minor degree or second degree in computer science. So yeah, the fact that he's coming here, and I'm sure within this summer he'll come back and check out LA again. And I think he's planning to come every summer to LA and meet people in the business. I, I don't think uh, you you have to worry. I, th I think he's a sharp kid, and um, it's amazing that you know you're doing stand-up comedy, and most comedians are scumbags <laughs> and, and dysfunctional and just terrible parents. But um, you know you're lucky that your kids are like really easy to deal with. I've never seen them scream at you guys. I never oh. seen you guys scream at them. Well, I mean, and it happens. Maybe you're not at <laughs> there at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> he was on his best behavior, I think, this trip because he knew that we were out there, out for here, yeah, yeah, for him to, you know, give him opportunities. So he, he was extra nice. Uh, and his music, musical taste is pretty impressive for somebody his age. And I, 
when he was he showed me some records that he bought i was surprised that he bought like Mahler and all this yeah. classical music you know so yeah he's he's definitely developing a mature taste and i have a lot of friends with kids and then like i don't like forcing my advice because all i've ever done is made a lot of bad decisions and mistakes but i give him a couple of things like kind of um not forced or anything just like well i wish i would have known these rules and these things i should have done yeah that was very sure nice enough you, he definitely uh, started doing them you know like yeah. reading is such an essential part of um growing up growing as a person and you don't just do it for uh practical reason but for joy of it and i told them there's a value in reading a bunch of different subject matters because yeah. you never know when you meet somebody you you might know just even tiny bit of a subject matter that person like this could be a future boss or somebody in position power that could help him and uh, making a connection with some another person is important and, and having a interest or having interesting conversations is a nice way to do that and yeah. i think he's learning the value of that right um, I think going on in the week, uh, as you said, we saw the Getty, and then the next day, I think we went to the uh, other Getty Museum. That's uh, off the four hundred five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, off the four hundred five, going to the San Fernando Valley. Uh, I'd never been there, so I was, you know, I did comedy here for like a year in two thousand five. I always drive by the thing because I had my uh, place in North Hollywood. Sure. So I always saw it. I go, what is that thing? Uh, beautiful museum. Yeah. Uh, Worldwide, it's it's really interesting, and then you sh- you should check it out. And um, yeah, it, it's absolutely, it's free. It's free. And and funny thing is, every time I go to one of those places, you always hear someone speaking European languages. Yeah. Because they do visit, and it's refreshing that uh, there's a lot of culture here. Believe it or not, in Los Angeles. Yeah. And it's hidden away, and uh, it's a shame if you don't go check it out. Like Amoeba Records, we. We live in a very competitive business environment where people are downloading music free and piracy and things like that. But Amoeba Records are able to compete because they're providing kind of expertise and serve customer service yeah. that you can't get in like Walmart. And I'm not, not I'm not against Kmart, Walmart, but they can't get the kind of service they provide. Yeah, and very knowledgeable people. Knowledgeable. Yeah. They even have this special show where Paul McCartney sometimes performs their surprise shows, right. Bob Dylan and things like that. So it's an amazing place. So you can't compete and survive if you provide a unique service. Yeah. And they do that. I highly recommend Amoeba Records. And I'm not a music guy, you know. Yeah, um, William was uh, blown away. Uh, that was great. And then we... Um, uh, met other interesting people. wasn't really uh, music-based, but it was really interesting meeting uh, your friend Tom, who was a, who's a kind of a freelance reporter. Tommy, Peter, yeah. I, I'm... Um, Actually, I'm going to end up releasing this before that one because I'm still working on it. But Tom A. Peter is a f- friend of my friend who, uh, who became my friend as well. But I met a really uh, interesting, smart, ambitious, and beautiful girl named, a woman named uh, Alex Meyer. And um, sh- I met her in Kabul, Afghanistan like two years ago. She was very kind. And uh, she just said, like, you live in L.A. My friend Tom's moving there. Why don't you meet him? And basically, Tom is a journalist, lived in the Middle East for like seven to eight years. He was kidnapped in Syria, uh, yeah, amazing. 2004, as um, part of the summer vacation, he flew from Cairo, Egypt, to Amman, Jordan, and from Amman, Jordan, he paid a taxi driver seventy-five dollars to go to Baghdad. This is like less than a year after the war started. Yeah, crazy. And uh, he studied Arabic in, in college, and he lived there. So he lived in like Turkey, Cairo, uh, Istanbul, Turkey, Cairo, Egypt, uh, Amman, Jordan, uh, Baghdad, uh, Iraq. Kabul, Afghanistan, and Syria, uh, Aleppo, Syria, and then um, 
uh, interesting guy or, originally from uh, Orange County and um, I'm glad that the Yosung had a maturity to appreciate someone like that because you know I was a little concerned maybe because he was not a music guy he, he wouldn't listen but he was very attentive and yeah it's cool to introduce people to wide variety well, of things. Well he was a very interesting person and it was kind of fun and, and just kind of describing our day you know we ended up meeting Tom uh, in little Osaka uh, which I, you said it's kind of sprung up in the last ten years or so. It, it, I think it got really big in the last ten years. Yeah. It's basically, you know, if you don't live in LA, I've never been to. It makes no sense. But it's it's like, uh, north of Olympic Boulevard and yeah. Sawtell, and there's a lot of uh, like Jap- young, young yeah. Japanese Americans and a lot of Asian kids, and it's gentrifying. It's, it's a really hip area. Yeah. Yeah, but I just thought it was fun. You know, we started <laughs> in Venice, which is a great area went to the Getty Museum. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was just like a lot of different experiences sure. just in one day. You know, Getty Museum, then over to Amoeba Records. Uh, I think we spent a little bit of time in the Valley doing something, and then you know, went to Amoeba Records, and then ended up in Little Osaka, which is almost like you seem like you're in a different country. You know? Sure. It's, it's almost like being in Japan. So it's just kind of neat that you had all those different experiences sure. in, in one day, and that's that's something I love about L.A. I don't I don't love the traffic and no you know as you said maybe that is something you just kind of get used to or immune to uh, after a while but the, the I, traffic I w- was just my only complaint about I uh, the whole week I always tell people that's the price you pay to stay live in a <laughs> wonderful place like LA but it's you know ironically you know if you're listening to the show it's a podcast and one of the reasons why podcasts is so huge in Los Angeles because most people in LA drive and they have to listen to something yeah that's what and you some said. of the biggest podcasts in the world are here Joe Rogan Experience Mark Maron uh, Nerdist on and on and on you know Adam Carolla and uh, you know Dr. Jura you know you know even uh, the show that I used to be on DVDSA it's in LA too so LA it's such a pro car place yeah it's not a pro p- pedestrian walking no place. you can't get around here just yeah that's definitely a difference between new york city and here um but yeah you're talking about yeah you just have to listen to podcasts or try to f- spend your time productively in, sure. um, in in a car but i mean i don't know after a while do you just kind of just stick to where you are i mean you know we drove around a lot of different places in one day but maybe you just like after a while living in LA you just stay in one place you stay in Hollywood or you stay in Santa Monica or whatever you just don't try to drive around a lot I think first couple years when I moved here I used to go all over the place visit place I always wanted to visit yeah. but like now that I've been here 10 11 years you you get kind of complacent but uh, this you guys visiting was kind of good and kind of reminded me like oh yeah Venice California have all this amazing Canal with these beautiful homes. We were kind of walking around that neighborhood, uh, places that you see in TV and California occasion yeah. shows like that. And I forget, but when we drove up to Malibu and all this amazing place, I forget like, wow, you know, California, Southern California is a beautiful place, right? If you have the money to appreciate those things, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's great. And I think on Wednesday night, our good friend Russell Peters are one of the judges on Last Comic uh, Standing. Yeah. So. Um, I think um, what do we do on Wednesday? There was a lot. Like, well, there was like. I mean, it kind of gets a little bit blurry for me. But I know we met up with your friend Jonathan uh, Branstein at. Remember, we went to the conveyor belt. K Town, uh, yeah, in K Town, this the this conveyor belt sushi place, and your uh, former podcast uh, uh, guest uh, Kimberly Motley was there. 
and um, amazing Jonathan, person. J- Jonathan Branstein's been on my show uh, podcast. We talk about travel and comedy. And Kimberly Motley, she's been on my show twice, and uh, it was a very special week for us because for her especially, obviously, because um, uh, CNA had a profile on. Uh, uh, yeah, on, on her, and uh, she did a case where she saved this six-year-old Afghan girl from, uh, you know, uh, this early marriage, and uh, you know, it just yeah, she's done amazing things there. Yeah, and just then, and it was my, it was, it's really fun to make my friends meet each other. You know, I can't wait someday. Your son is married and a bunch of kids. Uh-huh. Look at that picture of Jonathan Branson, who has helped me so much meet interesting people and standing next to him is Kimberly Motley who is doing all this, all this amazing work in Afghanistan and um, you know only in LA you have a chance to meet someone like yeah. that you know? yeah if you guys haven't listened to that podcast that I think she's been on your podcast twice yeah just a, a really amazing story of her life and what she's done over in Afghanistan risking yeah. her life yeah you know? just amazing just amazing and two years ago I basically told Kim like look you know you're the only western uh, lawyer in Afghanistan, and uh, you have done so many groundbreaking uh, cases. You should definitely think about going to LA and in a picture, maybe a book or a TV show, movie, and things mm-hmm. like that. I always say stuff like that whenever I meet interesting people, but most of them don't do that. Man, she's been coming here like a game buster, and she's getting stuff done. So, yeah, yeah, they should get like a Carrie Russell, or no, I'm sorry, was it Carrie Washington? Yeah, someone like that be perfect to play her and uh, I'm really f- excited for her and it's fun to introduce my friends because my friends does uh, interesting work like my friend uh, Yuka Kobayashi yeah, who worked yeah, I met for her yesterday right yeah you, she she works for Stan Lee and she is uh, Stan Lee's right-hand woman and you know she just happened to be in Dubai like a week ago for Middle Eastern Film and Comic Book Convention, I think uh, something like that. And she was there, and Kimberly Motley happened to be there. So I like connecting people. They yeah. met, had a great uh, meet. Um, Yuka come back five days ago. Wednesday, I sent her a clip on CNN covering profile of Kimberly Motley. She was impressed. So we, we met, met up um, you know, a couple of days ago and just love introducing my friend to each other and even you met Yukon and uh yeah she is a lovely woman beautiful and smart and yeah. savvy and um Absolutely. she's very good at negotiating and talking to people and a good listener so yeah um so yeah and then you said it was on wednesday night was the uh last the comic standing last comic standing and yoshi is very good friends with russell peter so he yoshi took will to the uh, the taping of that, uh, they had like two tapings that day. Yeah, we went to the second one. Went to the second one, so that's a long day. And um, uh, William was able to uh, meet uh, Russell Peters and uh, get a picture with him. And my wife loved that because she has a friend at work who loves Russell Peters. She's so. East Indian. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, and so she uh, was able to show a picture because um, my wife like says that. She tells this woman stories like, because I uh, it was like about a year ago. Yeah, Russell was in uh, Louisville uh, doing a week at the Improv there, and uh, sold that show, of course. Yeah, I got it open for him. But she told this woman that you know I performed with Russell, but the woman was. She says, "I'll tell her something." She'll shake her head, but she kind of gets this vibe that the woman doesn't believe what 
yeah. Karen is telling her. So it was nice to have some photo proof that um, we actually met Russell. It, it's very strange, you know, when you have uh, now famous friends, but when you met them, you, they weren't famous, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I'm not minimizing Russell's uh, accomplishment. It's just really weird. To me, he's just a Russell, but everyone else, that's D. Russell Peters, you know? It, it's, yeah, uh, it's it, must really, be, it must be weird for you. But, yeah, the guy's a mega international megastar. Uh, and so gracious. Uh, I thought, it, you know, as I said, he did two shows that day, so it must have been a 12-hour-plus day yeah. for him. And then uh, his manager invited like a Paul whole... Cantera. Yeah. Paul Cantera. Paul invited a whole gaggle of us to his trailer. And it's very it, small, actually. Yeah, it was a small trailer. But like, so there's about, what, eight of us mm -hmm. crammed in that trailer. And then here comes Russell... Walking into his trailer after a 12-plus day, you know, judging and having to pay attention to all the acts. He comes into the trailer, and we're all crammed in there. And I got to tell you, I was amazed how nice and gracious he was. Because I tell you, if I was that level of star, I would have thrown everybody the fuck out of that trailer. Yeah. Get out! <laughs> you know, I want some alone time. But he was so nice. It was kind of awkward because we're in there and like he's he like start taking his clothes yeah, off. He like starts changing into his shorts and t-shirt. It made me laugh because I'm used <laughs> to seeing him uh, the uh, you know hairy body, but your wife kept looking away away from him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Russell doesn't care, you know. He just like put his clothes on. But yeah, you know, I I've known him for a long time. A lot of times, these show business people have friends, and they have a very exclusive elite friends because they know they could help them. But Russell is friend with people because he liked those people, and quite often many of his friends, including myself, pretty useless to him. We don't really add. Yeah, you're very useless. Add Absolutely. positive <laughs> things to his life, but <laughs> but it, you know he b believes in loyalty, and he's really loyal to his friends. And I'm just amazed, as many asshole and successful people I mean in Hollywood, even with all the success, he's still able to maintain. Yeah. A decent decency, oh, yeah. You know? And then, and this is tribute yeah, yeah. to his mother and dad and the older brother Clayton. Absolutely, uh, decent and gracious. And then, you know, uh, I think he should get Brazilian wax or something because I, oh, I, yeah. that's so disgusting. Yeah, it was he like looked a, like a goddamn gorilla, like an Ewok. <laughs> uh, but, but so yeah, we left, and he was very, very nice of like you know just saying goodbye to to us. And I've only met Russell a few times, but yeah. you know, I'm amazed that he remembers me, and he's he's. You know, just very nice, very nice to my son and wife. Uh, Unbelievable we memory. It's it's freakish because I would say something in Japanese quickly. He remember it. Oh and yeah. He say it. There's some. You know, he loves music, so I guess it shouldn't be a surprise. He has a gift. But he for could that. hear something, and and especially sounds and voice and and and, and words. He can remember them really well. Yeah. Like it's really strange. That's why I watch what I say around him in Japanese, bad word or something, because he won't remember. Yeah, you know, and like I don't want him to say it in front of a real Japanese person, and, and then they find out I'm the one who taught him. You know, yeah, that's <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so he's very nice. So uh, that was Wednesday, and then the next day, um, the whole group kind of uh, split up in a way because um, the last Thursday was kind of the last useful day of the vacation, and uh, we had to do something for my wife. Uh, that w was centered upon her interest, which was to go to Disneyland on uh, Thursday. 
So we went from beautiful Venice Beach, California, yeah. right by the beach. Oh, yeah, we had a great... Uh, I went on um, uh, VRBO, which is called... Uh, I don't know what that is. It's Vacation Rental by Owner. So that's uh-huh. like people will advertise their house mm-hmm. or a room or something on the internet on, on VRBO. It's a really nice place, but bitch to park. Holy fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. It, our parking space was not in the garage... Actually, the garage itself was where we were living. It was a converted garage, but it was in front of the garage, and you had to, like, parallel park. So it was, like, my wife and uh, my son. But there was a stupid pole. Yeah, there was a pole right next to it that you had to, like, negotiate. So it was, it was, it was a little bit tricky, but, I, you know, it wasn't. It was great for the location, and I, that was the only kind of pain in the butt was getting it in the parking space. Uh, so we were in Venice there. It was a great like half block from the uh, Venice Boulevard. It was a lot of fun. But Thursday, we switched locations. We uh, drove my wife and my son out to Anaheim. Which is in the Orange County. Which is in Orange County. It was uh, it's a little over an hour drive yeah. uh, to get out there. But my wife, uh, and I've talked to this about Yoshi before, she is totally obsessed with uh, anything Disney, Disneyland, Disney World. But why? Okay, well, I was telling you about my theory about this, I'm, and I was talking about people who are heroin addicts. It's, it's like my wife's heroin. Mm-hmm. And you'll talk to people who are, who are hooked on heroin or, or addicted to it. They'll always talk about the first time they took heroin and how amazing it was yeah. to to try heroin. And then every time after that when they take heroin, it's always... They're trying to chase that first time that they uh, chasing that dragon, chasing the re- dragon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but so you know I think, what? I but think you, that's you, what it is like for my wife. Is that she went? She went when she was a child. She was. She lived in San Diego when she was like about seven or eight years old. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Because her dad was in the Air Force. They moved around, so they were in San Diego. But was she born in California? No, uh, Illinois. Okay. She's she's lived in Illinois. New Mexico, Washington, D.C., San Antonio, Texas, mm-hmm. San Diego, all because her dad was in the Air Force. Um, so she's like, she went as a little child, and it was like such incredibly good memories of it. She's like always kind of trying to return to that. Like Disney makes her so happy. We go to Disney World all the time. She loves it definitely more than anybody in the family, even the kids. So like even the kids don't even want to go there, but she does. And so, this is how good of a son he is. Like he went with her anyway. Yeah. But like I could tell by looking at his face, like he has no interest oh, whatsoever. Yeah. But I have to say, <clears throat> it was a little shocking when 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 we started driving inside of the, uh, Disneyland, and he she literally just stopped so she could jump out and just start walking inside. <laughs> yeah. And she reminded me <laughs> the first couple of years when I went to porn convention, mm-hmm. like. Fuck the formality of parking. <laughs> I'm going in. Look at some of these hot-looking pussies. Been, <laughs> right. But like, whoa. Because she's never that... She wasn't rude, but like, I've never seen her like that. Assertive. Yeah, animated. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, she wanted to get out of there. Right. I think uh, on the, when you were driving on the left-hand side, there was those <laughs> vehicle where they pick up people and take them to main interest. <laughs> she sold them. So, Just stop right here. Stop right here. <laughs> yeah, right. right. She couldn't wait to get out of the car. Yeah. She looked like... <laughs> She, I don't. If, have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? You didn't see the movies? Yeah, uh, no, no. I have a. She reminded me a character called Gollum. <laughs> yeah, where Gollum. you know, just chasing after the. My uh, precious. Rings. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and uh, yeah, like she's not in, like the <laughs> early stage of Gollum or something like that. But yeah, you know, last time I went to Disneyland, like 1988, a uh, couple days before I graduated from high school, yeah. and, and my friends were going. So like, ah, oh, okay, they kind of forced me to go. But that's it. But I I've been here. <laughs> What twenty? What six years ago? Yeah, I have no interest. I, it it puzzles me too. I I think I don't know. I, I mean, there I, are worse things to be obsessed oh, over. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and everyone kind of has whatever their heroine is, you know, whether yeah. it is actually heroine or you know. I think for me, playing golf, but she just loves it. And I think I don't know. I have my theories. I think it's kind of the. She likes the order of it, mm-hmm. the predictability and the order, because she doesn't. She does not like anything like left unraveled or uncertainty about things. So I think she loves the planning and detail that Disney puts into things, and that she knows what to expect. Sure, I, I think that's part of it too. I don't know. It's it's weird. Can you hold on for a second? I got to piss. Hold on okay. a second. All right, so we're back. So um, yeah, so, so she. I know you used to tease Karen about Disney, but yeah, yeah. But what does she do? Like, I mean, she spent all day there. Oh, she. But I mean, she sits there, and part of it, the enjoyment for her is just the pre-planning of it and the researching what's new there and what what ride she's gonna go on and things she's gonna see. She just, I mean, she loves it. But that's it's uh, part of the predictability of it. I. But think, can she go she by herself and she still could have a good time by herself? Yeah, I think she had a great time. I mean, if you remember, she came back around. 10 yeah. I mean she came she waited till the bitter end when the park was totally closed before she left I mean they came I think the park closed at 10 so she came back to the hotel like 10:30 <laughs> um but I mean then I don't know if you remember she just pretty much passed out right after that she she, she looked exhausted yeah, yeah yeah she she I mean yeah you spent the whole week with her did you see her that excited the whole week I mean, she kind of reminded me like the years when I used to go to porn convention when it was good. Yeah, I, they're not bad, but it was. It's never going to be that big again, you know. And yeah. Like, but you would have that level of oh my god, that you just excitement, go crazy, like Christmas morning, like going to open. Up I'll get up presents. early. I'll be the first one to get in. I remember for at least first five years, like these are like porn girls. Like I Is mean, it to meet the. I mean, that was the excitement to meet the actresses. It's just it's hard to explain, but like it's yeah, you get excited watching them in the movie, but to actually like see them, yeah, literally close enough that you could smell them, yeah, and they, with their asses sticking out of the way, <laughs> I mean, it's just like it's amazing. It's, it's you know, and uh, and then the guys who work in the business, the performers, they're they're used to having sex with those beautiful women, but like as a man, you get excited just seeing women in those sexy outfits, sometimes skimpy, but like. From ninety nine till two thousand five and six, I mean that to me was like the golden age that was of convention. Dis- yeah, it was just your like, Disneyland. You, you yeah. cannot believe. But you know, once you start working in business, and not to mention every year it's getting smaller and smaller, and no fault of anyone, it's just internet has taken a lot of money away. Many of the companies cannot provide enough money. Right. They don't make enough money to justify convention floors. So, yeah, yeah. But well, still, I went with. I went. Was it two years ago? You brought me to the AVN. I think. Maybe three, four years ago, I think. Okay, you, it, you, you it, went to award show. Most, I think it was three mm-hmm. years ago. Um, but yeah, you brought me to the AVNs. I, I, I had a great time. It was a pretty amazing, and it was kind of neat to to see that you know some of the. If you go there for the first time, yeah, you get a big kick out of it. But yeah, you know, when I got fired two years ago, uh, following year, that it was the first one I've gone back. 
as someone who doesn't work in the business. Yeah. I had a what pat- was the year Dave Attell was the host. That's the year I went. Yeah. Okay. Attell okay. hosted. When, when I went, uh, the first time I went there as somebody, as a civilian again, I had a pass. I could have gotten an AVN award show. I didn't go because, ah. Uh, yeah. I don't think I missed anything. Like, the year, the last year I went as somebody who worked in business, I went to the convention floor. I saw for like maybe five minutes. I'm like, all right, I left. Mm. It was so small. It wasn't really exciting. It it just doesn't have the same feel. And uh, you know, I, I've been to the one in in the uh, East Coast. I went to the one in L.A. I went to the one in Vegas. Mm. I even went to one in Spain and one in Berlin, Germany. And um, those are the great memories. But yeah, it's just so internet has it literally. S- Suck it dry, which yeah. is the name of the title for Evil Angel. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 um, it's different now, you know. And, yeah. Um, I still like meeting the people in the business, but it's just business now. That the price I pay for working that business, the fantasy is gone. Now, yeah. You know? Well, you know, I you kind of bring that up, you know, and there's been discussion about after the kids leave the nest, uh, and and William is leaving next year. Is like where. Are we going to stay in Indiana? And like one of the places we've discussed is moving to Orlando. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if my wife, like we moved to Orlando, and let's say she got a job at Disney. Sure. You know, maybe maybe that would like be like the same thing parallel for you. You know, with the porn conventions, like losing its luster, seeing how everything operates, and I don't think so because <laughs> the w- her eyes, like. <laughs> It's like Muslim visiting Mecca or something, you know. She just... If I have to make a wild guess, I think your daughter and son will most likely move to L.A. L.A. just seemed like Hmm. with the connection and networking and and a variety of uh, opportunities. And not to mention, it does have a Disneyland. You could do your comedy. It just seems like L.A. seems like where well, you guys could all find something that you yeah. like down here. It's interesting. I mean, mm. I, I do like L.A., uh, Calif- you know, California, but it, it's kind of hard if you don't live here and weren't raised here and, and have a house here. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get into the come back into the California market, get into the real estate and all the sure. taxes and stuff like that. So, But your kids are young enough. They could learn to adjust, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can make the move. But um, Absolutely. Of course, it's easy for me to say because I'm homeless and I go friend's house, house to house <laughs> to house. But um, um, I don't know exactly what I'm doing. There's times I get up and like, what the fuck am I doing? But um, I take one day at a time. And you know, this week, you know, uh, you're you're kind enough to take care of my finance. <laughs> you, see, you pay for it. Oh no, but it was it was it was good to have you around. I mean, it was a productive trip, and every day mm. was something fun to do and meet interesting people and it did it did help out will a lot so you know it's it's good to have you around and 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 have those kind of connections so like yeah so thursday my wife and my son went to disneyland um we drove back to la we drove back to la and i actually had an audition uh for uh, voice work voice work for a, a a cartoon network project that uh yeah, I guess is going on, but yeah, that was fun too. I've never, I've never auditioned for anything before, so so that was a good experience. Yeah, and afterward, uh, you met my friend Yuka Kobashi, who worked for once again Stan Lee. Yeah, Stan Lee, very nice. I introduced her to Kimberly Motley, so that was a good meeting. Yeah, and um, after Kim left, 
Because I, th- I think uh, you showed up maybe about two hours after we were met. Yeah, I would have showed up earlier. I made you got this, your car towed. I got my car towed. I was I parked on Wilshire, mm-hmm. and um, I was just being stupid. I I saw the meter. It says, "Oh, you only have to pay till four o'clock." I didn't bother to read the sign that said after four p.m. It, it's rush hour, and uh, they tow all the cars uh, that are parked along the street. To and Wilshire's to, a major road. Yeah, yeah, it's a major. So if I was if I just parked on a side street, I would have been fine, fine, but I didn't. I parked on the main street, and that was about a $400 lesson. Not only did they tow your car, but in addition to that, before they towed your car, cops give you a parking ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I actually got there just after they towed it. It was still on the, the truck, and the guy told me where I could go get the car. So I go down there, and it was like $230 to get the car for the towing fee and they I think they charge you a storage fee even though the thing wasn't even stored there I got there as soon as they brought it to the parking lot so then I pick up the car and then on the windshield is the parking (laughs) ticket another $160 for the Los Angeles uh, parking enforcement so (laughs) I you know yeah yeah I I, I don't know I I don't think I was even mad I was just, I don't know, I was just like, okay, that's just the price of learning how to live in L.A. I and guess. visiting, too. And visiting L.A. I've been here 11 years. I could imagine probably spend between three to $4,000. Oh, my you. God. Yeah. Jesus. And, um, it's tricky because sometimes these, you know, it's not like I'm ignoring the signs. It's, it's there, but, like, sometimes it doesn't register in your head. Yeah. And other times there's sometimes four or five signs that kind of, you got to, Read between the line, like figure out what day of the week and what time it is, and then like look at which sign uh, applies to you. Right. And if it doesn't, you're okay. But yeah, you, you know, it's there's like, look, once again, this is the price you pay to visit <laughs> this magical place we call Los Angeles. So you know, but yeah, overall, um, I it was in, very enjoyable for me because I'm 44. I'm not gonna have your kids. I got vasectomy done. I'm not gonna have kids. But you know, you and um, um, my friend Tom in Vegas. Uh, <clears throat> you guys never met, but Tom's been a dear friend of mine. Um, he also had biracial kid. He's he was mm. he's Thai, but uh, adopted by white folks. And then um, and Tom is another guy <clears throat> that have kids. So basically, I only have two families. I kind of like vicariously mm. live through like a family life. It's yours and Tom family in, in Vegas. Oh, okay. It's, it's really fun to sit down and see those kids grow up and just like uh, see your kids grow up. You yeah. Know? It's, it's kind of oh. like well, the fly in the wall and like look through like, oh, yeah, that's, I guess if I was normal and had a real job and being responsible <laughs> and didn't get my dick cut, that uh, maybe I could have had a kids. But, yeah, it's it's fun seeing you guys because it's the same thing. Like kids are really well behaved. They're, they're working really hard and um, – very stable, healthy family situation, which I'm not really used to. Yeah, they're good. They're good kids. <clears throat> um, yeah, so fantastic. They went home. You were going to go home early today, but decided to stay here. You're literally going back in about six, seven hours. Yeah. And then we're just uh, finishing this last <clears throat> podcast before you leave. So I have like three more subject matters, then we'll we'll finish. Um, okay. <clears throat> so. Y- you're you're pilot for FedEx, so let's talk quickly on um yeah maybe 10, 15 minutes each. So I want to talk about the FedEx comedy, right. 
then we'll finish off with the subject that you love the most, which oh, is golf. Sure. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so your your uncle was a pilot, and um, yeah, he he your uncle did he, he was a pilot for Taiwan, but yeah, he also China worked Airlines. for CIA. He did. Uh, well, he was like in the Taiwanese Air Force. What's your uncle's name, by the way? Roger. <laughs> Roger, Roger, uh, Roger Chen. Yeah, he was uh, in the Taiwanese Air Force. Uh, you know, I guess he went to whatever the Air Force Academy that they had. Yeah. Um, so he was a pilot for them. And then, yeah, for a while, he uh, worked for Air America in Vietnam. And I, I Can you explain what that is? It's not uh, a commercial airline. No, it's it? not. It's actually uh, an airline that was established by the uh, uh, Central Intelligence Agency. Right. So they did stuff that, uh, I guess they did stuff that they didn't want the U.S. military to do. Yeah. So they pretend like a commercial airlines. Yeah. I don't know if it was that much of a secret, but uh-huh. um, yeah. So he did stuff in Vietnam. Um, I don't know if it was a lot of flying. It was maybe actually teaching other pilots mm-hmm. stuff. So he worked for them. But then eventually he was hired by... Uh, China Airlines, which uh, is the uh, uh, airline for or Taiwan, mm-hmm. and he actually was a uh, 747 captain for them. And I guess maybe that kind of initially got my sparked my interest sure. in aviation, and obviously made my dad working for Boeing. Uh, so uh, I started taking flying lessons in college, and I was also in the uh, NROTC program, the Navy. Right, reserve officer training. Program. But why, why Navy? If you're going to be a pilot, why wouldn't you go Air Force? I don't understand. Um, I th- uh, truthfully uh, and rightfully believe that the the Navy pilots are the best. You know, take off and landing on aircraft carriers very challenging. And why did you think a Navy pilots are best? Huh? Uh, well, because I saw Top Gun in the. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's in my act. I didn't know. I didn't know what I loved about Top Gun, but it was it the uh, incredible flying scenes, the great soundtrack, watching Tom Cruise play volleyball and Daisy Dukes. I was patriotic and confused. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, so uh, when you told your parents that you want to be pilot, what did they say? Oh yeah, they were they were all for it. You know, they, they helped me. You know, work towards what I wanted to do. My what grade. about Uncle Roger? What do you think? Yeah. He he, he loved it too. Did so he give I you advice? Uh, not so much. I think he was very supportive. I don't mm-hmm. know if there was any advice he uh, necessarily gave me, but yeah. So uh, I think my timing in my life has always been good because if you remember, uh, once I got commissioned in the Navy, graduated college, that was uh, mid '80s, and that was still kind of the trailing end of reagan yeah uh and boy military people love around yeah reagan. so you know we were in a huge military expansion so there was a lot of slots for pilots that right. they were trying to fill so and that's the thing about the military it's all very cyclical in terms of like sure you know the military draws down when they it draws down it doesn't need as many pilots they cut back it's a lot more competitive to be a pilot or to get a pilot slot to get mm-hmm. into pilot training. So at the time, uh, they were looking for a lot of pilots. So I was able to get in and get into pilot training. So when you were taking classes in college, I mean, was it scary the first time you take off? And how does it, I mean, for, for most of us, 95% of uh, people in the world, we never learn to fly. Ex- it's exhilarating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I learned in a, a Cessna 152. Do you, you know that in Renton? 
Renton, Washington. There's that south f- of Seattle. Yeah, there's that field there. Yeah, on the right hand side when you're going. If you're driving for Tacoma, Washington, northbound on I five, it's on the right hand side. No, right? no, that's Boeing Field. Oh, 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 in Renton, there's actually a field that there too. But, I didn't know. Um, that. Anyways, yeah, I, I, uh, the way I remember it is like, yeah, you solo eventually, but I, I took like five lessons and then the instructor felt confident that I knew how to take off and land safely so he got out of the plane and you know I went around the the pattern I think like five times and wait wait so after five hours yeah about that you were flying on your own yeah oh my god yeah is that normal I it's probably kind of kind of average I mean I think the instructor kind of gets a feeling to see how yeah how you're progressing and if he feels confident you can do it he'll uh let you let you go around and do it yourself. Wow. Yeah. But well, uh, what's that like? Like the first time you fly on your own? Yeah, it's exhilarating. Yeah, it's fun. Which is more scary, that or losing your virginity? Oh, uh, yeah, less tears. Because both cases there was less crying. Bloody mess, right? Both. Yeah, yeah, less crying <laughs> on the on the uh, flying by myself. Um, you know, it, it, it is. It's like you have to kind of prove yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing about flying. It's very. It is kind of structured, and and you have to keep showing that you have the ability. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, probably the most exciting thing is going out to the aircraft carrier, land on an aircraft carrier, and you actually do that by yourself the first time when, that you go out. Um, you don't have an instructor on it. There's no instructor on it. You uh, you practice for it. You go. You know, you go to a field yeah. which has a carrier landing deck painted yeah. on it. Yeah. And then um, next to it, there's what they call the Fresnel lens, which is kind of a row of lights. But in the middle, there is like a, a light in the middle which shows you if you're above or below glide slope. And yeah. you're trying to keep it uh, even with that row of lights. That means that you're on glide slope. So you practice that. You know, you go around again and again, and you have a guy who's called a LSO, a landing signal officer, who is there on the ground, and he watches every landing, and he will grade you on every landing, tell you you were high or you were low on glide slope, yeah. you were slow, your attitude was too low, the nose was too low or too high. So you get a grade on sure. each time you land. So they watch you, and... If you don't, if they don't feel confident that you'll do well at the ship, you don't go out to the ship to do the landings. But they have to sign off on you that they feel you're conf- they're confident enough in your abilities that you can do it correctly. And then, yeah, you go out to the ship by by yourself, solo to the to the aircraft carrier and do your landings. Not every pilot for U.S. military learned to land in carrier. No, right? just and not every Navy pilot lands on a carrier. But yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So there, uh, there, are, there are Navy airplanes which are not carrier based. Out, out of a mini aspect of flying, landing carrier, how does it rank like a most difficult thing? Or I mean, yeah, I would say it's probably the most difficult thing I've done in aviation. Yeah. Okay, so for especially a- at night, uh, nighttime carrier landings, it's almost. Uh, if you, uh, I think uh, someone told me, and I think it's true, if you're not scared doing it. You're crazy. Then yeah, there's something wrong with you. Then you should be nervous mm-hmm. because there is that element that you do. It's very serious, and you do have to be focused when you're doing it, and you can't tr- treat it lightly. I mean, even in the perfect weather, sunny, visibility clear, landing carrier—that's still scary. But imagine 
dark, yeah. rainy night. Rainy night. It's when the move, ship is going sh- up and down really the hard. The ship is pitching up and down from the waves. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to land, and uh, you're running out of fuel. There's, you don't even have enough fuel to make it to another land. So this is it. I mean, if you put all those factors on, and then uh, I, mean, yeah. I can't imagine the pressure. Yeah, there is a lot of pressure, and you don't want to screw up. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to have to do something like uh, there's like if you land long and and then your tail hook mm-hmm. misses all the wires. I, um, you know, uh, that's how we land on a carrier. Is that the uh, on the back of the airplane? There's a hook, actually a hook that hangs down, and you land, and the hook catches one of four wires on yeah. the carrier deck, and then that's what brings the airplane to a stop. But you don't want to have to miss all the wires, and then you that's called a bolter, and you miss all the wires, and you have to go around and do it again. And obviously, yeah, you only have a limited amount of fuel to do it in. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it can be very challenging. And I remember a, a lot of times is that you land, and the plane I flew, which was an E two. Uh, they would have to park it in a certain place. So yeah. you would land, taxi off, and you'd have to taxi to this certain place. And you have to do it in a certain amount of time because if you don't do it quickly enough, the airplane behind you might have to go around. So you don't want to have to force the guy behind you to go sure. around. So it's a very quick thing that you have to do, and it's very stressful. And I remember a lot of times I would land, nighttime, park. I'd have to sit there because my legs were shaking. <laughs> Uh, because it was just so much adrenaline that I couldn't get up and walk out of the airplane. I had to sit there for a few minutes. But yeah, it's it's very challenging. And I'm did glad you, I did, did you it. ever have a mistake on it? Sure, I've had you know not quite perfect landings. I mean, you know, no crashes or anything like that. Yeah. But um, you know, you always want to catch the number three wire because it's how many wires again? Sorry. There are four wires. Okay. So the number three wire. So it's kind of like you land. The hook lands between the second and third wire. Yeah, I mean, I've had ones where you, I was a little bit too low, and mm. you catch the first wire. Uh, so that's not good. Yeah, the la- the landing signal officer doesn't like that when you when you do that. <clears throat> so, but well, but Stan, um, you know, you had a successful career in Navy, and you picked the right. Uh, well, before we talk of FedEx, um, what 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 was it like when you went to military? I mean, I'm, I'm sure pilot school, you're probably one of the few Asian person, right? Yeah, I don't think, at the time, I don't think I ever ran into another Asian person. What was it like? Was there any problems at all? No, no. I don't, not outwardly, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people are pretty fair. I'd say overall pretty fair in the military. Yeah. It's kind of your abilities. If you're useful yeah. and can demonstrate that you can do it, I think people are pretty fair in the military that way but when you watch top gun was there that kind of like a goofiness and competition trash talking i mean it, it is very it is competitive i i mean i i think yeah top gun was very hollywood-esque about mm-hmm. it i mean I, I think that was kind of the fun thing to do when top gun did come out you pilots would just sit around and talk tell you all the things that were wrong about the movie sure yeah i think maybe that's what anybody does like there's like something that you know you're, about, you're a part of a certain business. Yeah, and you see it put in the uh, on the silver screen. Yeah, you sit there and pick it apart, like all the things that are wrong with the movie. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it, it was. It, it's competitive. Sure, you know, not everyone can do it. 
you know it, it it's very challenging and so you know they don't let everyone do it you have to meet <coughs> certain you know expectations you know what they say uh, like these um very talented brace surgeon they their ego is pretty healthy yeah like almost like a god-like complex uh, god complex uh, yeah whatever. like uh, Al, uh alec baldwin in that movie yeah um <laughs> I mean, you kind of have to be like an alpha guy, right? I mean, there's a lot of those very... You have to yeah. be very confident in what you do. This is not a, a game for timid. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there is a certain cockiness and swagger mm -hmm. that you run into some people, uh, other pilots. Yeah, I think you do have to have a, a, a kind of confidence. And you run into that. Most, most pilots have that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily me. I think... I. I, I prefer to be more quiet and modest about things. Yeah. Um, I think that is interesting. That you, uh, I don't know if it's an Asian thing that Asians uh, just necessarily to be modest. Because if you meet me, I'll never tell you that I'm a, what I necessarily do for a living. Right. You're always the one, like, we meet a group of people. You always bring it up. Yeah. This is Stan. He's a, he's a pilot for FedEx or whatever. But That's impressive, though. I like to, I don't know. I, I think maybe it's just a modesty thing. Is mm -hmm. how I, I was raised. I think I think my dad was always kind of modest about stuff. I don't so. mind saying it because I'm not talking about me. And it's kind of fun to tell people here the you know FedEx pilot whatever. Yeah. And, uh, um, but it's interesting. It, it maybe is a necessary component which I kind of lack is that you do have for like stand up comedy. Maybe there is a certain amount of self promotion. That you have to do about yourself, sure, and talk swagger. about yeah, or brag about yourself, because I I notice that in you know uh, other comedians, and they're always there to tell you, oh, I'm the funniest guy, or blah blah blah, yeah. stand up comedian, or or they'll volunteer that information that they do stand up, and I guess that's necessary, but I always kind of see, oh, that's, that's kind of gross bragging. It, it's 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 <laughs> it, it's interesting because. <clears throat> I think black culture, you see a lot, like, I'm always astonished, like, when I saw, like, uh, Asian church versus white church <laughs> okay. versus black church. Yeah. And it's not an arrogant thing, but, like, the tapestry and, like, the the performance and, like, uh, you know, like, uh, the black church, I mean, I have to say, it's a pretty amazing uh, performance thing, you know? Yeah. And I think yeah, you black see... black church is the most black fun. Church, yeah, and, then, like, <laughs> you, you see that even, like, in football where, especially the black defensive back or wide receiver there was this swagger to right. them and i think in stand-up comedy too so i i think uh sherman uh what's richard sherman yeah richard i love that guy <laughs> i love that dude for seahawks, seahawks defensive back uh cornerback and um <clears throat> i'm 44 so I, I i don't think i will have uh, have that maybe i could like um trying to push more of myself but i i think it's it's very strange because growing up in japan if you do that, it looks shameful. But yeah, yeah, right. I, I, it's not yeah. encouraged. But you know, just like a black guy could wear all purple suit or red, <laughs> and I have to say they look great. But if I wear it, I will look ridiculous. You know, it's, it's like I I don't know why, but I I have to say we all do what works for us. And like obviously, you didn't have to get in people's face talking a lot of shit and and uh, being cocky. You still landed. You're doing something that's terrifying for most people, and frankly, most commercial airline pilots probably didn't have never done it. They're scared to do it, and you could yeah. do it. So I don't think there's only one path to getting shit done, but yeah. 
I have to say the swagger thing is really interesting. Yeah. Why, but why? I, I mean, maybe I'm more focusing on the show business aspect, and I, I think there is that component that you do need to uh, promote yourself, yeah. or uh, talk yourself up uh, in in show business, and, and it's something I kind of lack, and maybe that's probably what my career isn't as far along as it, it, as it uh, should for, be. for you I, I i don't have excuse but you definitely have a legitimate ex- excuse because you have family and let's yeah. be let's be honest uh, the f- pilot for fedex is the only union that the mr smith who owns federal <laughs> express will uh, uh, allow because he has no choice in the matter and i think they pay uh, pretty decently don't don't they for, yeah, uh, yeah i mean it's kind of hard to give a walk away from it yeah you know? i mean i told you this earlier i mean i i do love my job i do love flying uh, it's kind of funny in, if you hang around commercial airline pi- pilots enough. They love to complain about their job. It, it, maybe it's kind of a requirement in a way that you complain about your job because you do want things. You do want better pay and better benefits. So you you have to make it seem like you're you're suffering in a way. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's one of the best jobs there is. I, 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 mean, I get paid to do something I love to do. And I love flying. I love flying every time I go flying. I can't say that necessarily about doing stand-up comedy. There are times I absolutely question myself, like, why am I doing this? I don't really care to make these people laugh tonight. You know, I don't well, know it's, it's interesting. It, it, when, when I saw you last Saturday at the AA meeting doing comedy, it, 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 it was very difficult. It was difficult for me to follow because you, you you really oh, killed it. Well, thanks, but and and then um, no, you um, and then when you have shows like that, yeah, you you have to admit here here's a group of people who are brave enough to admit their problems. Yeah, and to try to support each other, and we were there to make them laugh. Right. And when you do a show, and for me watching you, like I know you were having fun, enjoying it. You know, yeah. And like it's it wasn't even money because you didn't get paid, but I could tell you really really enjoyed it. When you do shows like that. Then of course we all love stand-up comedy, right? Um, it just—I um, think it would be tough because you have family and kids to raise, and uh, and I have to say, if you're telling me you love your job and you, I know you do love your job, it's hard to walk away from something that you really love to do, you know? Right. You, you, you I don't, I don't think all the years I've known you, you ever said like, I gotta fly this fucking thing because I have to pay bills. And you never said that. You genuinely loved it. And, yeah, it's hard I mean, to the, walk away. the only thing I don't like about it is being away from my family and whatnot. Yeah. But I do, I do love the flying. I do love, you know, meeting other pilots and, and things. And and it's, I like flying with other pilots because, you know, we have a lot of time off. There's mm-hmm. a lot of time, and, and so everyone has their own hobbies and interests. So it's fun flying with other people and, and finding out what they're into. You know, people fly privately sure. or they'll have like an interesting hobby i don't know like you know people do hunting we have one guy at fedex this is what he does he likes to uh fly with hawks like skydive mm-hmm. with them like they'll go like a hawk will go into a dive he'll sit there and film them sky- while skydiving like a helm camera like a gopro helmet. or something yeah filming the hawks diving wait how do you do i mean how do you like skydiving, he'll skydive next to the hawk. Wait, he he'll jump from an airplane. Yeah, but wh- where does he fly in? The, so he's flying in the area that there's a lot of hawks. Yeah, but how do you time that? I don't know how he does. He, that's his hobby. It's amazing. I mean, we got people who do like all sorts of different things. It's it's interesting to talk to people. Wait a minute. So he's a pilot. 
Yeah. But he, he himself have to fl- fly. Yeah, he jumps out of the airplane yeah. and, and flies next to the Hawks. And Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, 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 uh, so I, I like that aspect is just, you know, flying with other guys and learning what the, what they're into. Uh, people are, you know, <laughs> and then people find out I'm into comedy. Yeah. They're interested in that too. Sure. Which is, I think it's kind of funny because I'm usually pretty quiet and reserved yeah. when, uh, I meet people. So they're very, actually very surprised when they find out I do stand up comedy. And, it, and it's funny because there's a lot of Asian American comedy and <laughs> you're very funny. Um, you're not as quite dar- dark and dirty as I am, but I am surprised. Like <laughs> you, you know, like that, I think that's one of the reasons we get along because when you're an Asian comic and you do the stuff that I do, it is a very lonely road, <laughs> and you killed it. And like I, I, I always said, the way I see myself, like you and I doing stand up. Sometimes, do you remember that Greek mythology, uh, Daedalus? Am I saying that right? Icarus, uh, yeah. Icarus and Daedalus. Okay. So they 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 were trapped. And, and and the father or the son was in like these engineering mer- uh, magicians. So they made a wings out of wax. Yeah, and, and they, they both flew, but one of them flew too close to the sun. Icarus, yeah. Yeah, and then then the wings melt and died. You're smart enough. You could, you go <laughs> you go just high enough. You go just high enough. Amazing the view and fly and exhilarate and make everybody laugh. But me. When I follow after you and I start talking about my family's alcoholism problem, it was like a <laughs> such a downer. Like, <laughs> then I tried to throw a new joke. You know, I I I'm always one of those idiots that like tightrope walking. But that's just, what, yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I see your act as. It's like walking this very fine tightrope, and it's amazing. There's like some point, like you'll do always do well, but it's always like some point I see the audience get off, <laughs> or they yeah they'll they'll. They won't buy something in your act, and then it's they like a little too dark. And, yeah, uh, and and somebody that I really respect and love, two of my friends in the comedy business, told me, Yoshi, we love you. We don't want to tell you what to do, but some of that stuff is so dark, and too many dark stuff over and over. After a while, the audience is just exhausted, yeah. and like despairs. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> it's like a doom and gloom. And I have fun time, and uh, I, fo- I I sometimes forget this is a business, and I'm trying to ma- entertain and make them happy. But um, I guess ideal most people meet therapists to get rid of the problem. But I go up and say horrible stuff, and I just get that shit out of my system. Yeah, I feel better. Not necessarily the audience are happy with it, you know. So um, I mean, but most of the time I see you do really well, and and you are kind of the comics comic yeah i mean you always make the comedians in the back of the room just die laughing yeah well i mean it's always funny for comedians when they see if their fellow comedians just eating it on stage (laughs) but um it works both ways i mean yeah we're horrible people that we do laugh when like it's always like you'll you know you'll tell the joke Mm -hmm. and then there's the silence yeah and there's like the one or two beat, and then you hear the laughter, and it's always the comedians in yeah. the back of the room laughing at the the joke bomb. And quite often, like sometimes comedians who will come up with uh, some new horrible joke, like a not horrible, it's a funny joke, but it's really dark and mean, and they're afraid to use them. Well, they will <laughs> give, they, give, they'll it give it to me. <laughs> give it to Yoshi, and I will I will say it, whether it's racist or sexist <laughs> and whatnot. I will go up and say it. Right, and um, it's funny, but. You know, I I um I, I gotta learn to balance the act. So anyway, anyway, you know, um, the FedEx thing. I'm I'm really happy they're treating you well. I always I still think you know we did have this conversation years ago. I still think maybe you need to pitch a show where 
four or five interest in FedEx pilots yeah. alive. Yeah, you were talking about that. Yeah, because I, I, I think it will give FedEx a positive line and show how interesting these pilots. And uh, it's a special group of guys, and that I still think, I still think I, you know, I would love to work on something like because I, I, I'm not obviously I'm not a pilot, but I love traveling. I love like show them like they could be <clears throat> show them their flying life, but also maybe their hobbies or their hobbies favorite. and their family, and then and, and, uh, it just show like how interesting these guys are. Yeah, you know, I, I would love to watch shows like it that. might be fun, and then show where they travel to. <laughs> Absolutely, and yeah, and um, I think and that's it, also what I love too. I still love the traveling of it you know being able to go to different places so that's why your wife Karen's so funny because I think several times you told your wife hey I'll buy oh. the ticket meet me in Paris like she said nah that's alright but she will go every yeah, yeah, goddamn Disney places yeah that's part of her like she just doesn't like the unpredictability of travel yeah it's like for example but that's what I love yeah yeah you you will go to the worst parts of Turkey in the middle of the night and and you know Afghanistan and <laughs> yeah, the favela in Brazil but yeah yeah that would make my wife's head explode yeah um, yeah yeah so like yeah you talk about that story it was like a few years ago I had this trip where I was going to be in uh, Paris yeah over the 4th of July weekend and I had enough miles uh, like on some airlines <laughs> said yeah why don't you fly over we could spend the weekend in Paris and she like she was she just would not do it she was a she was like afraid. She goes, "Well, how, how do I get into the city from the airport?" I go, "Well, you get into a cab." And she's like, comes up with all these scenarios, like how it's like impossible to do, you know. And and that's why Karen's great because most housewife <laughs> could only dream their husband say, "Hey, I'll buy the ticket. Why don't you be in Paris?" Most <laughs> women will say yes. But she say no unless you're going to Disneyland in Paris. Oh no! Yeah, 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 Dis yeah, and that's what I, I was kind of talking about. She loves the order and the predictability of of Disneyland, that she knows what to expect and there are no surprises or no uncertainty. Yeah. About it. So yeah, <laughs> that's so interesting because I'm, I'm you know I'm from a Joe Rogan and I, and he's one of the toughest guy I know. I I always tell people he's the uh, poor man's Wolverine. You know he's he's yeah. like a fighter and like yeah yeah he just MMA. could kill ninety five percent of the humanity. Yet whenever I talk about going overseas, yeah he wouldn't he he wouldn't go to no, uh, South Africa or all the really no, no 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 way he has the money to do it but he would never go places like that he really this is not a joke he's one of the toughest guy I know I'm a big pussy but I don't know what it is going to those crazy places I am so excited yeah but he's I'm more excited than, than going to porn convention you know what I yeah. mean like um well you've so been to a lot of places yeah. So he's really scared. He just doesn't want to. I don't want to say scared, but like I, I don't know. He's like, to. "Are you crazy? I would never go places like that." I'm like, <laughs> I, 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 why wouldn't you want to go places like that? You yeah. know, and that's that's. Um, well, you are much more. I mean, it's much more kind of rogue. I mean, you know, when I travel, everything is set up. I mm. mean, the transportation, the hotel I'll be staying at, yeah. and we're always staying in you know a fairly nice part of town, you know. But you know, with you, it's it's definitely more unpredictable and you, you know I've, I've gone places with very little money i even yeah remember, i remember even going to first time going to vegas or different places like sometimes i went in uh, airport cafeteria and wait till somebody leave a food and i'll eat that did food. you really yeah i would just i mean i had no money and then like i remember first couple <laughs> years going to vegas porn convention sometime i go to a hotel and like see a room open that they're cleaning i just oh i just forgot to get something from my room i'll go in and take a shower and things like that did and you like, really oh yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I i just had enough money but 
I know, you know, uh, Woody Allen said 80% success in life is just showing up, whatever the percentage. But sometimes you just show up, and like a lot of times I had no idea who it is, and I met people. I mean, people was in like, I know a lot of people, I do, but like I also met others who know so many like unbelievable people. Like that's why I'm kind of hesitant to tell people like I really know people. Mm. I met a lot of people, but I know others who are really well connected because my friend Saad was saying people like that not only do they know more people but he has a lot of influence on them you know what yeah. I mean so but uh, I, I really enjoyed it and uh, I just gotta like I, I'm such a late bloomer. I gotta like be more smart with my time and, and start meeting people and use my connection but yeah. may, maybe it's the Asian thing because yeah that's the weird I, I yeah. like promoting helping my friends because that way it doesn't look shame even though I'm shameless on on this stuff I feel really uncomfortable but it's such a thrill to introduce my friends and then they meet each other it's a good for them but yeah something about you know m maybe growing up insecure and my family wasn't supportive and they were kind of not how I gotta be careful how I say this either they were just too ignorant to realize that they should be more helpful mm. and, and kind to us they just didn't know any better but growing up in that environment you, you're just not sure like you don't know how to get help and like you know i, I think they would have been they could have been more helpful i think it's yeah. half of it's apathy and the half they really didn't know right that they were hurting us you know so yeah i mean you know when i see a lot of people who are not successful or a lot of groups who mm -hmm. are not successful i always kind of think well you know you got to give people the benefit of the doubt because they might not have had the examples in life yeah. or the structure in life to be successful. Sure. And that's very hard to overcome. So when I see people who say, oh, well, they're just lazy, yeah. people are just lazy or they're not trying, yeah. well, you don't know. They might not have had the mm. opportunities. I, I, I'm too old to make those excuses, but uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, I feel like I hit the bottom, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to climb out of it. But... Um, it, it, it was it was fun, Stan. I'm, I'm glad you were here this week, and uh, I I can't wait to see what your son's gonna be like, ten years from now, twenty oh. years from now. You know, yeah, it, 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 it'll be fun looking at those kids. Um, well, thank you for your help this week. It it really was a fun. No, week. It, it was really fun. It's almost like a uh, social experiment because for him to volunteer, like you know, you told me a couple of things, really good ideas. I've been adding it to my life, like wow, you know, and. Uh, um, I'm, I'm really happy about that. Um, so quickly, you do. We we talk a little bit of comedy, but uh, we we both love David Tell. Oh yeah, absolutely. We love David Tell. We met a lot of funny comedians like Russell Peters. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. D let me just say about David Tell. I I love him. Mm -hmm. And when comedians like new comedians come up and ask me for advice, I will always recommend uh, Dave's uh, first album, Skanks yeah. for the Memories. And I say, listen to that album and listen to how efficient he is at telling jokes. And I don't There's, think that's like um, driven in enough for, for comedians about editing your jokes, making them shorter and funnier. Without any fat on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah making them as lean and as efficient as possible. Yeah. And it's great listening to that album by David Tell because he makes the punch, he makes the setups funny. You're laughing at the setups even before the punchline. And he still surprises you with the punchline. Yeah, you know? yeah, still surprises you with the punchlines. He is definitely 
the hardest working comedian I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Just to watch him over a series of shows and go, wow. Yeah. He's not doing the same show over and over again. The premises that I'm he does, he'll do a say, maybe the yeah. same premise, but the punchlines punch and the, the tags are all different. It's go, wow, he's really working on that. And and, it's just and, amazing. And, and it's, it's fashionable to say Louis C.K. is very, uh, the best comic or whatever, and a lot of people do sure. say it, and, and Louis is incredible. Yeah. But purely, like, if you're just, like, a connoisseur of stand-up comedy, man, that guy, I mean, you know... If if comedy joke writing is similar to haiku, then he really is the poet laureate. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, rubber frost of our generation. He, uh, uh, Dave's. Yeah, I don't know when I'm releasing this. M- maybe I will release it on uh, this, uh, April 14th, uh, 2014. So if you're listening to this on April 14th, then uh, a couple of days prior to you, you're listening to this, David Taylor had just released a new hour on Comedy Central yeah, and yes. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend people listen to his stuff because uh, he was kind enough to let me and my stupid comedy open for him and he let me work on Dave's old porn for season one and two and he's kind and generous and um, Amazing. You know, he could never, no one could ever uh, uh, match the generosity of Ru- oh. Russell Peters yeah. but Dave is up there, number two and uh, he's, uh, he's yeah. inc- incredible and Dave, amazing Amazing comedian, even better person. Yes, and uh, I wish he was happier with his uh, act. Yeah, he hits the most critical of his stuff, and uh, I, I don't yeah, know. that's you know I I kind of wanted to talk about that too. Is that yeah? I don't know. It almost. Hold on a second. I got to piss again. Hold oh. on. Okay. Wait. So I'm I'm back again. Sorry. Um. um yeah. We're, so we're so we're talking about David Tell. David Tell, and it, that it kind of bothers me when he because t- he you'll listen to interviews about him and he'll talk about how he's not very good or he's a horrible stuff. It's like, are you crazy? It's almost I don't he's know. not being modest either. Yeah. I yeah. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's like, uh, why are you saying that about yourself? You know, you're you're an amazing comedian, but maybe that's the fuel. That drives him to be better. So I, I remember during years ago, maybe he'll get mad at me saying this, but like doing a show in uh, Irvine Improv, most profitable uh, branch out, out of the improv comedy club throughout the country. And after the show, I was hanging out with these uh, um, people who saw the show, and they're really, really nice. And they invited us. And one of the girls, she was tall, blonde, blue eyes, amazing natural body, beautiful girl. And then um, she looked like typical like OC girl, like a really beautiful, naturally beautiful girl. And she's like, "Oh yeah, if if you bring Dave in my place, I'll fuck him or something like that, right?" Yeah, okay. And like I didn't say it in that language, Dave, but like this girl is interesting. And Dave just saying like, "Oh come on, she's not interested, whatever," you know. Like uh, he just <laughs> he just went um, 7-Eleven and grabbed cigarettes and like um, Diet Coke and candy or something. And went back to his room. <laughs> I you know. I I remember the first time I saw him um, live. Uh, he was performing in Indianapolis, but it was like uh, it was like one of those amazing experiences. I mean, you and I see so much horrible stand-up. You don't have to talk about me, Stan. Uh, well, you see, you perform <laughs> in a mirror. Yeah. Uh, but no, we see so much bad stand-up. I mean, we sit through so many bad, hacky acts where you already know what the the subject matter, what the punchline is going to be. We see so much bad stuff, but when you see really good stand-up, it's amazing. It's amazing, almost, yeah. for me, it's like an out-of-body experience. And we can't explain... It's, and you might as well try to define obscenity and pornography. You just know when you see it. I don't yeah. know how to tell them why something's good. I just know what's good and what's not. And yeah. like, 
for sure, Dave's always been like number one to me. Oh number, yeah. I mean, I, maybe other companies equally as good, but I I have a hard time saying they're better stand up than Dave. I just you know, there's comedians I've never saw in person, but I mean, he, holy fuck, man, it's just brilliant. Like oh yeah, he dances he dances with his words. I mean, oh, I just okay. like holy fuck. It's almost like when Michael Jordan does this really jump and ball in one hand and kind of toss another hand while he's in the air and just kind of yeah die. yeah it's like watching like a kung fu master yeah. i mean you think you're you think you're good or you've written something good but you see dave perform and it's totally on a different level yeah and yeah he kind of makes it look effortless effortless and and i said like one of the first times i saw him and i still remember this is like he was kind of talking to some girl in the front mm. row and they were going back and forth, and then he noticed that the girl wasn't wearing any shoes. She was like barefoot. He mm -hmm. goes, "Wear your shoes. Put your shoes on. This isn't diabetes summer camp." <laughs> <laughs> was, I just remember that just off the cuff remark, and I, I just go, "Wow, that's how amazing stand up can be," you know. So, and you, you and I, we've known <laughs> him for a long time, but I have to say, he is—he's the only comic I know of all these years watching comedy. He is great oh, with yeah. a capital G. Yeah. Like the Mount Rushmore comedians, he's one of those. He's like, if there's such thing as Hall of Fame, first ballot vote for comedy, David Taylor's yeah. definitely like a first vote. Almost guarantee everyone will vote say yeah. He was. He's one of those comedians, and you know, most comedians there's always like debate. You know. Mm -hmm. You know, you mention a comedian. Oh well, he's a good writer, or oh, he's just a good performer, or or, or he just appeals to a certain yeah. people. But I think Dave Attell, across the board, any comic you talk to, absolutely, will, will say, uh, you know, yeah, totally respect it. Like you know, like Brian Regan, clean, clean, but e everyone loves Brian Regan. You know, everybody respects him, and and, and Dave Attell too is that everyone just respects what he does and his work. He's one of those guys, I guess, someone who has the incredible natural talent and actually work really hard. That's the result of David Hill. Yeah. And, uh, um, no I can't, I can't, I, I can't say enough. Like, um, he, it just, I get depressed, like, working with you because I'm always afraid of saying something stupid, which I do. <laughs> but w to go up and do my piece of shit act and it's terrible because when I when I look at him how good he is it's really embarrassing like I want to shoot myself in the face I mean it's just uh, well hopefully it makes you want to work harder yeah and, and try to be a better comedian so I, I, I like that even but, Russell Peter has we had this conversation like Russell like I go he's, he's saying like I'm paraphrasing but he could only dream like he could write like a tell you know mm. yeah um, so Russell Peter's another one I think it's incredible because he's, uh, oh, yeah. you know, he's more performance oriented and his jokes are funny, uh, but performance oriented and the, uh, of his ability to connect with the people. Oh, yeah. I'm always impressed with impressed. that. Yeah. And, oh, going back to uh, David Otell one more time. Dave is only one great comic. His exception to the rule where at the end of his act, you, I still, you really don't know Dave. You know he's funny. Yeah. But you don't, he, he doesn't really do talk about private things about himself so yeah right like, very guarded about that <clears throat> the great ones like louis ck jim norn uh patrice o'neill uh rock uh, chris rock guys like that at the end of the show whether you like them or not you get to know them and they talk about some real shit make while well, make you laugh 
but I think Dave is the only one that, that I could put him in like a Mount Rushmore of comedians that um, you really don't know him as yeah. a person. You yeah, know? that's uh, interesting. But going going back to Russell Peters, great performance. But I think what he contributed the most is he's such a massive talent that people who generally will never go see stand-up comedy, they will come and see him. That way, you're educating, literally, like uh, you're making them laugh, but at the same time, educating them like uh, the the art of comedy. You know, hopefully, uh, these fans will become a big fan of uh, Russell. That when Russell say, "I'm a, I'm a fan of this comedian," I hope they check out their comedy. But yeah. He is changing stand-up comedy world. Literally, mm-hmm. he really is. He's st- literally taking stand-up comedy to parts of the world that never been. Right. They never had a comedy. Yeah, and as you said, I think he's so massively talented mm-hmm. at connecting with people, mm-hmm. or you know, hey, where are you from? What's your background? And then just being able to to work off of that. So good at that. And and. Um, unbelievable performance and his impression of people is just like uh, oh yeah and you're chinese he the does best. that shit better oh, than my you God. do yeah. yeah that chinese pr- act he does is so funny um you know so was you, you met mitch hepberg right uh i never i mean i saw him perform unfortunately i saw him perform maybe about three months before he passed away it was in new york he did oh. not look he did not look good at all he was like limping Oh, on no. stage and it was just really skinny it was in new york city i forgot the venue it, he was oh he was performing with that other uh there was a guitar Stephen lynch mm-hmm. yeah that was who he was on the double bill with him but um yeah that's the last time i saw him and i don't think i even saw him when he performed at giggles in like, seattle washington yeah yeah, yeah. uh but yeah huge talent amazing um, last time I saw him was January first, two thousand five, and uh, Len, his wife, was walking by at the Hollywood Improv, mm-hmm. and I just saw him walking by. And he just saw me like, "Hey, Yosh," and he just walked back in the green room. You know, mm-hmm. that's the last time I saw him. Very generous, very sweet, and but man, you saw him during all those years I in, mean, in Seattle, you, watching. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he even let me open for him a couple times, and he was very generous, sweet guy. And like the first time I saw him was like during Seattle comedy competition. He basically said like, "Oh man, nice to meet you. I and mean, tomorrow I'm going to be in Letterman. I hope you have a chance to check it out." It was the first time performing on it. You know, actually, that was the first. The first time I did see um, uh, Hedberg uh, was I think it was like one of the first or second times I did open mic at the at uh, the Seattle Underground. Mm-hmm. And he was preparing for his first Letterman audition. Oh, I didn't. Or not audition, his performance on Letterman. So that was like '97, something like that. Uh, yeah. But I remember, I think he was kind of, kind of stoned at the time. Like my wife and I, kind of like, oh, he's, he's high. <laughs> but uh, it was very funny. He, he killed it, and I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, oh man, yeah, he killed Letterman. May I, I really miss him. He, he. You know, sometimes in New York, they're great comedians, but like. I never feel comfortable around them. They have the way, mm. they have ways to tease you and make you uncomfortable. But yeah. I like the fact that Mitch always made me feel comfortable and and then and what's what's a very sweet, funny guy. And it, it pisses me off so many people copy his style and uh, you know <laughs> okay. act like they don't know what I'm talking about when I do mention to some <laughs> of them. I'm, they will remain it's nameless. A very but unique cadence. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to it's hard to. Sometimes they even had a haircut style like Mitch too, but. Um, you know, I um, I sometimes wonder like if uh, I wish, I wish there was something I could have done to help him. 
I mean, just imagine if, if if Mitch is still alive, what he could have done with Twitter account with his one-liners. Oh sure. Oh my God. He yeah. probably would ended up like 15, 20 million followers or something, you know. Right. And I hope his wife Lynn will have chance to uh, make a documentary or something because I think people should know how uh, oh, wonderful be, the yeah. and amazing and uh, funny and talented Mitch was. And very kind. Stories after stories about. You know, he did a show in, in in Miami or something like that for college, and then the, during the show, he find out that some of the students, were, you know, they were just uh, didn't have an AC in their room or something okay. like that. And following day, there was a knock on the, one of those uh, audience members, and there's Mitch with a brand new uh, AC. No uh, kidding. Yeah, wow. and uh, I've done a couple of shows where he know that we weren't getting paid, and he would just, you know, give you a hundred bucks, and like, you know, this he he, he was truly a, was a kind person, and. Uh, First sad that he passed away. And, I uh, mean, it's it's there's a lot of sadness about you know when comedians pass. Away. I mean, uh, just this week, John Pignette passed away. But you know, you see all the people. He was who, only fifty. Yeah, my age, mm-hmm. and um, but you see all the people who work with him and talk about how kind he was. I mean, once he was very sweet, nice, yeah. guy, funny dude. A lot of fat jokes. Yeah, but yeah, um, just you know, and every, people talk about how nice he was. So I mean, that's kind of an example of. How you should live your life, you know. How do you, how you how would you like to be remembered? Sure. Um, I don't. Know, I I think when I meet new comedians or meet people, I try to be I try to be nice to yeah. people. I don't know. Mm. Try to remember that and sure remember how it was when I started off doing comedy. And you know, we started off in Seattle, and I got to say, I loved starting off Seattle and maybe if I had started doing comedy in Indianapolis maybe I wouldn't have stuck with it but I think part of it was and I'll, I'll give you uh, a story the first time I did comedy was at the underground in Seattle uh, most famous comedy famous club awesome club unfortunately they moved from one location to a new place and I have yeah. nothing against new place but um, something, some kind of uh, ordinance there was like uh, it wasn't safe for earthquakes, safety reasons that they move, yeah. but boy, I, that I really, really miss that place. It breaks my heart. They moved to new location because I really miss the old place yeah. and the, the uh, brotherhood and sisterhood. Wrap the show. We go upstairs to Swanee's <laughs> and where uh, all the communities hang out. But yeah, I uh, go see the, all the Mariner groupies. Yeah, or <laughs> well, Seahawks groupies. Every time I see a bunch of attracting American girls, I know they're not there for open mic. But yeah, I miss. I, that that's the part I miss, and like if, even if I move to Seattle, I think that's what really like prevent me from moving back because I that's gone. Yeah, and there's a lot of new comic, but uh, nothing against them. I just don't know them. But I really miss that uh, friendship, and oh, to, I, I to, to me that was better than high yeah. school for me. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I did. I mean, I, I I wrote. You know, I go. I had a friend who did stand up comedy <laughs> kind of in the eighties. Yeah. And he said, "Yeah, Stan, you should try it." And he he told me about the Seattle Underground. Uh, comedy underground so you know i wrote my material up and i went up and i performed it and i kind of i actually remember i did it and i kind of go well that was fun and i was kind of like going i don't know if i want to do it again though but i I know i I know who you're going to talk about go ahead yeah Carl, Carl came over. How do you say his last name? Carl Verhoeven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's Dutch. He came over. I interviewed him for this podcast too. Yeah, he came over. He he said, "You are very funny." And I don't know. That was enough for me to go. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again. If you know anything about Seattle comedy, 
Carl is the number one institution in Seattle, uh, Washington State. Yeah. He's such a beloved figure. and yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's always been, I mean, I mean he, he laughed when I say it, but he was like uh, one of the few people I consider like a father figure. Uh-huh. And uh, he yeah, was I always been that. kind. And um, he, he kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Phil Jackson of stand-up comedy. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and uh, he. he um, Very zen-like calm yeah, to him. Mitch Hedberg <laughs> loved them, and you know, all that the comedians ever went through it. He had a wonderful thing to say about Chelsea Handler, uh, Louis C.K., and Mark Marin, all these people that he worked, but um, he's retired now because too much, too many new changes in Comedy Underground. But I, 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 I just marveled. He kept the notebook of every Sunday, Monday open mic, and he kept the names of oh, every really? performers. Yeah. Oh, wow. And that, I mean, <laughs> I, I, when I knew him, I was just blown away. Yeah. But I, I really missed that. And um, but I do, I, you know, maybe it's just nostalgia. But I do love that. I did love that scene, the Seattle scene. Yeah. It was, it was very supportive, and it had a great sense of community. Yeah. Um, I think my problem was I did it because I, I, I had a, I didn't have an avenue to deal with my problems, but it made me happy. But I never thought pursuing as a career, not in Seattle. I think most people did it because it was fun. Yeah. There was it, a real, well, there know. was absolutely no money to be made in Seattle doing comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that kind of so, you know, there was nothing to be territorial about no. or, or, or whatnot. But, yeah, great place to, uh, I think, start doing stand-up comedy. And, and I think we talked about that earlier is that, you know, like, comedians like if they want to say hey where's a good place to start start i would definitely recommend seattle yeah as a place to start doing it i don't know what the scene is like now because it's been so long since i've lived there but um back when i was there i thought was great you know met you and tracy tufts and you know Dwayne and all those guys and yeah so. brody stevens tana manu um, yeah kelly tana. moran yeah um there's also uh um um Kermit, Kermit Peel. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, um, why am I forgetting all their fucking names? I apologize <laughs> if I don't remember. But uh, Davy Wooden, uh, Travis Simmons, uh, Tony Daniels, Ty Barney, who was second place last comic standing, uh, uh, Harold Gomez, uh, 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 um, David Crow, David Crow, um, um, and uh, God damn it, why am I forgetting his name? I could see his face. Uh, he was in, in a, a movie where there was a runner from. Uh, um, God damn it! There was a runner. <laughs> yeah, he died in a race, and uh, it's a famous story about. They made a two movies about. Oh, him. The, the Nike. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you. I know who you're talking about. He'll come to me, but. But the guy who played his coach. Why am I forgetting? I'm. I'm just. I apologize. You know who I who, who I'm fucking talking about. But Rod Long. Uh, you know all, all this institute institution in Seattle, Washington area, and yeah, uh, yeah, I, I um, I, I do miss it every time I go in. When I see them, it uh, makes me happy. But, yeah, um, I mean, I have real fond memories. I did was like the ninety eight, ninety nine Seattle competition. Yeah, you know that every year they in November they do the uh, comedy competition, com- yeah, comedy competition, and just really great memories because that it's fun because you travel with the same guys over a week-long period yeah. um so there you know usually when you do uh, comedy you know you're you're with maybe two other comedians but you know the comedy competition you're with like a whole bunch of guys at least a, what a dozen yeah people i remember so. one of the year i did everybody knew that the best you could do is second place and guess who was in that competition was that mitch that yes year? <laughs> if it's so obvious oh really it was yeah. so obvious that um 
I was he missed like, his he missed couple nights, and still at the end of it, that for the week his points were so high. Yeah, that he came in first place. You know, um, God, I thought I had this conversation with Augie Smith. Do you know Augie? Yes, he did it. I think the same year as Mitch, and he, he thought he had a legitimate chance of winning. <laughs> yeah, Augie's very funny. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's just um, it, it's you know it's not it doesn't matter even if you put a lot of swagger and performance. His material was so like it's it's almost like um, it's almost like you know it's like in the Western um, cowboys and Indians. Mm. And someone have a bazooka or something like that. You know, it's just <laughs> like, you know, you how do you compete? This guy's a a comedian from the future. You yeah. know, it's oh, just, yeah, uh, very unique and uh, yeah, true talent. And um, yeah. So maybe a couple more comedians and we talk to your golf and we're done. Okay. Um, but th- any other comedian we should talk about? Like, um, uh, uh, maybe I, I, talk I, about, I mean, I don't know if we're on the topic of uh, past comedians, Patrice, yeah. Patrice O'Neill. <laughs> Amazing. That's someone also, also who I really wish I got to see live. Um, Not I only did I see it, but I, I got, got you chewed got, out by him. Well, yeah. I remember you told me like the last time you actually saw him yeah. or worked with him, you, got, you guys got into a... Uh, a big argument, but and I guess that's just kind of the way Patrice was. He's very confrontational. But yeah. I wish I did get to see him live because I I only kind of got to know him through his HBO special and, and his friends, Elephant in the Room, yeah. and uh, listening to him on Opie and Anthony. You know, he'd get into these great discussions, and I think what uh, started the whole argument with because he did this one thing and you can find it on YouTube and it's Patrice O'Neill why I don't like Asian people yeah. but it is it's it's funny and like you listen to it I, I got to kind of like I start shaking my head in agreement with some of the Well that's that was my frustration about. because no yeah. matter how much you get angry with him cuz he was trying to categorize all the rude recently immigrated Asian people with me yeah. and, I, and then uh, you know and uh, it was annoying and I couldn't compete with him arguing wise but um, he was also making me angry and laugh at the same time because like, <laughs> yeah. whenever he says something to Asian people and it's true, it makes me laugh. I'm like, well, you are right, but <laughs> don't put me in the same fucking category. Right, right. But um, that's how Patrice does it. I did take kind of personal, even though I know that he will only do that to people that he actually like most of the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, I don't know if for me, but at least like he never talked to me before and like I, I, I was glad Jonathan Branstein was kind enough to let me open for him but mm-hmm. yeah he was a handful but um, it's very sad I always tell people he's the Lawrence Taylor of stand-up comedy and Lawrence Taylor was one of the most <laughs> aggressive football player <laughs> who changed in revolutionary football because he beat the shit out of people and he come after you but man he he is truly was the force of nature and a very sadly uh, passed away. Uh, yeah, tragic. And and I think he was right at the brink of breaking through to a bigger mainstream audience or you For know. sure. He probably could have got like the same deal from uh, FX and like Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. and but I love listening to him to talk with Jonathan Brancy and Jim Norton because Yeah. Especially Jim Norton and, and, and Patrice and Bill Burrs when you listen to and Keith Robinson when mm-hmm. you talk and just like and Colin Quinn. Boy, those motherfuckers go at it and like it's it's just a fascinating, like so honest. And I never thought any of those guys are racist at all. They're just honest. Like, yeah. you know, they're just honest conversation. There's nothing malicious, but yeah, it's it's um I, 
I, I really didn't be, don't have the rights and, and, and uh, I, it was a privilege let me hang, they let me hang out but I was always saying anything intimidating you know like uh, it's a hard group to get in the word or yeah oh I, I, I thought uh, I almost disrespecting because them because I never put I've never accomplished the level of success or a time like they have, you know. But uh, I, I have a lot of love and respect for them. You mm -hmm. know, Colin, Colin Quinn, the kids. If you're into comedy, listen to Colin Quinn, Jim Norton, Patrice O'Neill, and Robert Kelly's of the world, and um, you know all those great New York uh, comic. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, um, I, I guess we could end by um, because you know it's getting late. Um, it's April 11th, or was, or maybe 12th now, but. Um, um, golf. All right. Why, know, don't we, in, 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 well, in, why don't we finish? Yeah, this is, you know, Yoshi and I are such good friends, and we usually agree about almost everything. But this is kind of one point of contention between us is that Yoshi absolutely abhors and tests golf, which I don't think you really do, Yoshi, because I think, um, you know, you talk about your conflicts with your mother. And I guess your mother at some point wanted you to get into she, golf. She tried to force me to do it because, like, I guess at a restaurant she worked at, like a lot of the a lot of Japanese businessmen, he, she thought it was good for business wise. Yes, right? uh, yeah, business uh, connections. So she wanted you to get into into <coughs> golf, and I think that somehow translated into you actually saying you hate golf. But I think you don't necessarily hate golf. I think you hate just hate your mother. No, <laughs> it's, it's, it's 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 more of she trying to force me to do something I don't want. But the people who were playing golf, I hated those guys, those Japanese guys playing golf. Okay, because a lot of them, I think, uh, if they truly had a passion for it, it's one thing. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them struck me like they do it because it's just like they had to for business reasons. Yeah, and like okay. that's that's what I hated it. Oh, you know, like yeah. uh, it's one thing like they don't give a fuck about anything. But that I couldn't appreciate anyone with passion, but. I just didn't like those group of people, and maybe if I didn't, if I wasn't introduced to golf that way, maybe it would have been different. But I fucking hated those yeah. people. Just fucking hated them. I just went to go have a golf club and just beat them over the head <laughs> with it. I just hated. I just hated them, and that, my fear was I'm gonna end up with like being like them, you know. But fucking hated hated those people. I went fucking tsunami in Fukushima, just kill those people because oh. I just. I just loathe them. I just, you know, just fucking hated them. It's so them. unfortunate because I mean, I you see my my how my wife talks about how you know how she loves Disney. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's golf for me. That's that's kind of my heroine, you yeah. know. And uh, I love the game. It, there's just so many aspects and angles to it. I will say, I will, awesome. I will, I prefer to do golf than play go to Disney. <laughs> yeah, okay. I will say that if much. If you had a choice, I know. If you but, had but, a, but, uh, but, Sophie's choice, um, but but here's the thing: like, I just I read just enough so I could understand a little bit of it. Yeah, and, and 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 just like I like American football, I never played it. I'm not going to play it, mm. so I could appreciate something even though I don't do it. Yeah. So there's things like I am curious. Like it's interesting to hear the history of golf and um, that that part I appreciate. And I know a lot of people bash Tiger Woods, but when I read and see and here here's about how he prepare and how how he constantly searching for excellence mm -hmm. like we had this conversation like a couple hours ago like even when he was dominating yeah he was winning easily he changed his swing right. so he, he could make himself better and the consequence was he didn't play as well yeah but 
that's how much you want to get better at it and to me to when you see something like that the way dave attell push himself to be better at it mm-hmm. you do, it doesn't matter if you're not into it i could appreciate that kind of dedication yeah. i mean like one of the aspects i love about golf it is like when you play it is kind of a microcosm of life because you play it's a long it's mm-hmm. like four hours and a lot of people say you can know or learn more about somebody playing with him for golf for yeah. four hours than you would five years working with him in an office. Right. Because you see how somebody reacts to adversity. Sure. You hit a bad shot. Well, what's their reaction? Is it anger mm. or is there some sort of acceptance to it? You kind of get an insight into how they operate as a person. How do they behave when they hit a great shot? You know, so it's kind of a microcosm to see how they react in life I, that's something i love about golf and there's a pr- practical application for golf because uh, a lot of business are done a lot of relationships yeah. are created and the flourish playing golf yeah and i i mean i'm not an idiot i i understand that but um it, it's if i have to pick something that for social reason to connect with someone i gotta say i'd rather play tennis mm. um well all right let me just say this here's a counter to that all right mm-hmm. Tennis, you play tennis with somebody, mm-hmm. you kind of have to be maybe on the same skill level. Yeah. You have to, you know, like it's not fun if you like somebody's really, really good at tennis and you're just beginning. That guy's just going to kick your ass all the time. Or I'm so much better than that other person yeah. playing. Yeah. But you could give handicap, right? That's but playing mean. golf, people of all different skill levels can still play golf together and, and, and compete have, and, compete and yeah. have fun. Um, Another aspect I love, it's not easy for anybody. Golf is challenging for everyone. Sure. It's like nobody can just pick up golf and be good at it. In fact, today, like second time, and, and <laughs> believe me, first time yeah, I went we, to the range, it was with we you. To, we went to the driving range, yeah. And, and uh, Yeah, you did well. Oh, come on. You did well <clears> for <throat> a beginner, but it's hard for everybody, and it's not an easily acquired skill yeah. to do well. I like that part about it. I like I like practicing and getting better not everyone likes that people a lot of people just like to go out and play but i do like the practice part of it and 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 the self-improvement aspect of golf and i i I think it's um i have to say bill murray is one of my favorite person and he's a massive golf oh yeah loves golf and there's just lots of aspects to it um I like the social part of it. Nothing I like more than getting out with my buddies and going out to play golf. But I also love playing golf by myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, being with FedEx and I'm based in Memphis, I spend a lot of time in Memphis. I'm just by myself. I will go out and play golf all day long. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like a friend uh, have, playing golf. It's like this friend I, I have. Uh, so I, I love that too. So uh, I, I love the I love so many aspects <laughs> of the sport. It's great, and I wish I could get you to see that. Um, I'm, I'm starting seeing glimpses of it. Yeah, I, 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 I could kind of understand. Um, before I forget, I, one of my um, close friend lost a job, and if you happen to have access <laughs> to a great job, uh, this person worked in high tech. So if you have any idea, he was a salesperson, and if you, I don't want to mention the name, but very close friend of mine. So uh, once again, dumbyoshi at gmail.com. And also, if you, what's the odd of this is actually happening? But if you just happen to have access to Augusta 
uh, golf course because <laughs> nothing will make me happier than see Stan uh-huh. crying playing at Augusta Golf. <laughs> if something like that happened, it would just make me laugh. If, if, if you yes. could somehow make it happen where he could play it, nothing will make me happier. To, yeah, to, if there uh, is some sort of uh, Make-A-Wish foundation for yeah. 50-year-old men without cancer, uh, that would uh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so <laughs> if, if you know, if you happen to be a fan of this show, and if your rich uncle have to be in Augusta, just let me know. And uh, if you could do it, I'll send you a box of porn. So, <laughs> dummyoshi at gmail.com. But let, let's talk. Um, I, I really like Tiger Woods. He, he's, he, I just think people are unfair. I mean, of course. The, the You're peop- a fan? Yeah. He's a, I mean, he's a very divisive person. And... It's kind of funny ever since that whole allegations of in- infidelity. It's almost like it's not an allegation; it's a fact. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. It, it, ever since the the, the things mm-hmm. of his his uh, not being faithful came out, it's like husbands cannot cheer for Tiger as much as they used to. Yeah, it's like oh well, he's he's still a he's still a, a, a cheater, but it, it's weird. It's divisive. I mean, I I. You know, obviously, the the main thing about him is he is he going to be able to beat Jack Nicholas's record? And there's a lot of debate. And you know, the right record he has a fourteen master. Uh, he 14 has fourteen tr- major majors. championships, which include four Masters wins. But um, and when Jack you say majors, we're talking Augusta and Georgia. Well, yeah. when we talk majors, we're talking there are four majors played a year. There U.S. Open, the U.S. Open, the British Open the PGA Championship, and the Masters, which is the first that's played. It's played every the first week of, or is it the second? Second, second week, of, week April, of April every year. Played at the same place at Augusta. But so the other has, three is always different locations. The other three are different locations, mm-hmm. yes, every year. It, it rotates. Uh, sometimes it comes back to the same location. But anyways, Nicholas has 18. Tiger has 14. He has to win another five. Uh, but that's you know, there's so much doubt about it now because of injuries and and he's getting older. So, I mean, I would love to see him do it, but there's a lot of doubt now. I mean, for a while, it was it was like considered an inevitability yeah. that he was going to do it. But then the the fire hydrant and and all those things have popped up, and he has not won a major since 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a while. So, uh, and if you remember, that was very dramatic win at uh, Torrey Pines in San Diego. He basically played on a broken leg and won. Uh, so what, what, what do you what do you think? You think he'll break it? I think he can still do it. I mean, but time's running out. I mean, that's the thing is that there have been times in time how old is he? He's uh, 38 now. Uh, what, what's the? Do you remember? Do you know what's the oldest person to win major? Uh, Nicholas won the Masters. I think he was forty-five. I want to say. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but um, how, how much he was is, in his forties? Definitely. When well, he what's won the, the bigger problem, the physical injury or the psychological? Oh boy, that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, confidence. I think that's the thing about golf. Confidence is such a huge part of it, and it is such a mental game. So. Uh, and that's the thing that's kind of a little bit disturbing that maybe he doesn't have that same swagger or that same inti- intimidation factor that he used to. So. The killer instinct. I, rem- I remember seeing these pictures before he started having problem where there was a golfer on the second place. but And this is the closest thing you have in golf, the defensive ploy. 
he stand by nearby and watch the guy made sure the guy saw Tiger Woods staring at him and I think yeah that's a little unnerving to see the greatest player of that generation standing yeah. kind of staring at you you know yeah. and that that is as the closest you get to something like Michael Jordan used to trash talk and trying to psychologically break you you know right. and then um I, I think back in the day when when he didn't have any of these problems he had this killer instinct right he literally was Tiger right yeah. ferocious he brought almost like a little bit of bodybuilding shit into the business too he worked out oh yeah yeah you know, he definitely trained. brought in the athleticism yeah and maybe he's kind of he's kind of a victim of his own success because he he inspired so many of these kids to play golf that you know didn't think it was cool you know he never thought golf was cool but tiger made it cool so you brought in all these kids who were definitely athletic and they wanted to start playing golf, and now they're on the tour competing. And there's so much Tiger. money now. Let's yeah, be yeah, yeah, and absolutely, he's drawn in so much money into the tour. You know, even even if he doesn't win win another major, I mean, he could technically play professionally for another twenty five years if he wants to, right? Yeah, absolutely. But he has said he himself has said he will quit the game when he no longer thinks he can be competitive. Mm-hmm. I mean, he won't play just to play. He wants to play as long as he knows that he can win. So, I, I I like the guy. I just think uh, when you grow up in the environment when his father, were, I mean, I'm sure his father loved him and the mother loved him. And, yeah. Uh, the mom's amazing because one time they're interviewing her and she said, "Tiger, you have to go in and kill his opponent." Yeah. Like, even she, though you're friends. Yeah. yeah you like step on she their really neck. was Tiger Mom right there. <laughs> she, she's a, you know like wow. Step you know? on their neck. Yeah. So she gave that competitive fire to Tiger, and you know. I saw, I mean, you know, he's, he's six years younger than me, but I remember like uh, when he was a kid in Johnny Carson show mm. and doing putting and things like that. I just, I, you know, I just liked the guy in the sports I didn't really care for, but I always had a soft spot. But when the dad used to say like things like Tiger, Tiger Woods going to save the world, when you start talking to your son, maybe he did, they were great parents, but you kind of warped a kid and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so. He got maybe married too young. Maybe he didn't explore adu- young adulthood, and you know didn't have a normal childhood. So I'm not excusing what he did, but um, you know, don't act like you're better than him because right. he made those dumb. I mean, it's, it's very painful with his kids and ex wife. I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah. I like the guy. I think the, he got punished. I mean, he got punished a lot. And I know in UK that that uh, gossip journalism they're really tough on him. You oh know? yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, um, but I I, ho- I hope um, uh, I I wish nothing but the best and I'm rooting for him. I hope he break the fucking record, mm. you know. And um, yeah, I do too. I mean, it's it's fun to watch that history. Uh, it is. I mean, I, I hope he's. I hope at least he's healthy enough to do it. That he has the opportunity that that his body won't give out. Yeah. So uh, then the rest is up to him if he has the still has the desire. And he can find that confidence again to win. That'd be great. Yeah, uh, I'm, 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 all, I'm, all, I'm, all for it. And um, you know, um, I mean, that's like any com or uh, redemption sports, story. Sports competition. I always want to see sports competitions where everyone is able to perform their best or give mm-hmm. it their best effort. I mean, that's what I like to see. I mean, most Super Bowls, I have no 
stake in anything. Yeah. You know, it's like it's not my home team or whatever. But I always want to see a good Super Bowl. I always sure. want to see everyone perform. I didn't complain about this uh, Super Bowl. <laughs> okay. But I always I've been waiting see since everyone. 1979. You know, I always want to I I always want to see a good competition. Sure. You know. I always want to see people do their best. I never wish somebody, you know, to to choke or whatever. By the way, I I am a Seattle Seahawks fan, but uh personally, my temperament and the way I live I'm very uh, sympathetic to Oakland Raiders mm. because that organization has always given people second, third, and fourth chance, and it's it's mm. a uh, it's a collection of imperfect guys, and uh, um, I I have a lot of uh, sympathy for that organization because they've been suffering a lot. But also, one of the biggest fan of Oakland Raiders are Tiger Woods. Yeah, okay. he, his dad used to take him into the games and stuff. You know. And, oh really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Such. Like when they were in L.A.? L.A. and I'm sure in Oakland, too. But okay. uh, he's a diehard <laughs> Oakland Raider fan. I didn't know that. Just okay. like my friend Bonnie Rutten, the performer of the year. But anyway. Um, That's hard I, to be an Oakland Raider fan. <laughs> and, uh, any any other interesting thing um, besides that you want to play in, in Augusta? I, I think it's going to happen mm-hmm. someday for you. Uh, you know, make sure. Um, oh, like a dream things to do? Like... <laughs> A dream thing that I would love to do, golfing-wise, is to uh, have an RV mm-hmm. and drive down the whole, like, start up in Canada. Yeah. Drive down the whole West Coast from Canada. And play all the major golf courses? Oh, yeah. play all, Yeah, like, you know, play all the courses in the uh, Monterey Bay area. Pebble, sure. Pebble Beach, Spanish It's a beautiful uh, course. Oh, yeah. And just keep going all the way down, you know, play, uh, play like, Torrey Pines and then into Mexico. I don't. I don't know if that will ever happen, but that'd be like my dream. Um, I mean, beside the Masters, what what's the second tournament that you would like to play on? Oh, a course. I don't. I'd always like maybe like St Andrews in um, Scotland. That's uh, kind of known as the birthplace of golf. And every time I watch, it seems like it's very windy. Yeah, windy. It doesn't look. It doesn't look like all that beautiful of a course, but. So many golfers say it's just you know amazing. And and traditionally, who are good golf players? What country is it? Like a England oh. uh, or Americans are kind of like the dominating now. Yeah, America's always been very dominant, but because um, Arnold Palmer, Jack the, Nicklaus, Tiger Woods. I mean, the, the, here's the, the weird Americans, thing, right? though. Here's the weird thing is that yeah, we have so many great U.S. players, mm-hmm. but there's this thing called the Ryder Cup. And it's held every two years, and it's basically the best players from America. I, I don't know how many they take. They take like a dozen mm-hmm. of the best players in America competing against a dozen of the best players from Europe, mm-hmm. from United Kingdom and you know the rest continental Europe. Yeah. So they compete head-to-head yeah. every two years, and Europe has dominated them for like the last, I don't know, 12 years. And it's weird because what, what, what's going on? What's what? What is that? I think they work better as a team, team, even though they're not individually as strong as the Americans usually. But they somehow have figured it out to how to work as a team and beat the Americans. It's I kind of understand because those years and it pisses me off when U.S. basketball team lose, <laughs> and we have the greatest talent in this fucking country. But like those few years that they got like sober or something like. Uh, th- maybe the other teams don't have the, the the superstar like we do, but they just manage to have a better team. You know, yeah. and that's really frustrating to say that sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure just like it's frustrating for UK 
to not having a dominating football team, soccer team, compared to the rest of the world, mm. you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I don't know much about golf, but I definitely like characters like John Daly. Yeah. Is that John Daly? Yeah, John Daly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he... I mean, he's won two majors. He won the PGA Championship, actually, in my backyard in Carmel, Indiana, at Crooked Stick, and then he won. He won at St. Andrews, uh, the British Open. So he's won two majors. But when he won the first time, he barely got in, right? He wasn't even supposed yeah. to compete. Yeah, he was an alternate. He got in. That's and, unbelievable. Yeah, it was. An, it was an amazing uh, story of uh, yeah somebody who rose to the occasion. So yeah, he's amazing. He's had a lot of talent, unfortunately. You know, squandered by excess and you know drinking and yeah, whatnot. And 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 some people, I don't know, maybe it was you, but some people even theorized that he might have more natural talent than Tiger. Yeah, I think even Tiger has said that. Um, there was like I don't know, Tiger tells or John Daly tells this story. Like, is John Daly was at the bar at this golf club, and Tiger was kind of walking through the bar to go um, practice. And like he says, hey Tiger, come over, have a drink with us. And he goes, ah, I can't. If I had as much talent as you would, as you do, I would yeah. have a drink with you guys. But uh, yeah, Daly does have a lot of talent. Not only, I mean, he's known for being such a long hitter, you know, but he also has amazing short game skills too, which people kind of overlook. So huh. yeah, amazing guy. But yeah, unfortunately, he's kind of let his own personal life get in the way of. I only have eight and a half because of three hours of max. But um, okay, who 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 was some other historic? Um, what's his name? Bobby Jones. Bobby Jones. Yeah, he was. Why why was he so great? Uh, he, at the time, you know, I talked about the four majors. Yeah. At the time, what was considered the four majors was the U.S. Open, the British Open, the U.S. Amateur. And the British amateur; those mm. were the four majors back when he was uh, playing golf, and he was able to do what they call the Grand Slam. He won all four of them. Wow! In one year, in one same year, yeah. And that's never happened. Tiger. Now, this is what Tiger did. Tiger won four majors in a row. Now, when I t- told you about Augusta being the first one yeah. of the year, he didn't win the. Uh, I forgot what I think it was two thousand. Maybe it was two thousand. He did this in. He didn't win the. The Masters that year, but then he went on to win the U.S. Open, the British Open, the PGA Championship, and yeah. then the following year, he won the Masters. So he won four majors in a row, and there was a lot of debate, like, is that the Grand Slam? Does that count as the Grand Slam? I mean, in and of itself, it was an amazing feat Sure, that nobody is, maybe Bobby Jones, but no one else has ever done that was able to hold on to all four trophies at the same time. Wow. Uh, so uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, well, it, it's it to win all four majors, only I think four golfers have done that. It's Tiger, Jack Nicklaus. Um, Arnold Palmer? No, Arnold Palmer didn't do it. He won three out of the four, I believe. I see. Uh, so it was uh, Gary Player was one and Gene Sarazen. I think that was it. Those four people, oh, and ben, ben Hogan. So those five people have only have won all four majors. No one else has ever done that. Hey, I keep hearing. I heard that name before, Ben Hogan. Can you talk a little bit about him? What's the uh, deal with him? He uh, very inspirational, very hard worker. Um, <clears throat> everyone kind of uh, considers him the um, prototype for a golf swing. 
mm-hmm. just uh, just a very hard worker and also very inspirational because um, he was in almost a life-ending car accident with him, him and his wife. Yeah, and he came back from these de- debilitating uh, injuries and won more majors even after he was in this horrific car accident. So that's very inspirational in and of itself. But uh, just considered just an amazing player, very strong mentally. He yeah. did, he wanted to win very badly. So, um, yeah. So every, everyone, like, looks up to him and considers him one of the best. I mean, when they when people sit around and talk about who are the best golfers ever, I mean, in the conversation is Nicholas, of course, Tiger, and, and, and Ben Hogan. Oh, not Arnold Palmer? Arnold Palmer, yeah, absolutely. I think I think Arnold Palmer um, is really known for kind of bringing golf to the masses. He was uh, the yeah. son of a uh, um, like a greenskeeper at yeah. a golf course, so he comes from like blue collar yeah um, uh, background. But he really kind of like personified golf and gave, gave it an identity and really sure. kind of brought it to the masses. So a lot of people identified with golf watching him play. So I think that's that's kind of what is his uh, mm-hmm. uh, position in golf and, and you know kind of was there to bring you know televising it and kind of having a um, <clears throat> someone that people can identify with we've got um, a few minutes so Jack so Jack dominate the way Michael Jordan is like undisputed the greatest player of, of all time for basketball for right now I think right people now. people define greatness in golf by the number of majors you've won and I yeah, see yeah he has 18 so, so maybe Tigers at the point where a guy like Kobe Bryant or uh, LeBron is kind of looking up to Jordan and sure. see the magic number of six championship. It's really weird, right. because, yeah, because Bill Russell has the most number of championship, but but there's not even debate. Like Michael was the greatest, and uh, even though Bill Russell is right there with him, you know, mm-hmm. but Mount Rushmore of greatness with. Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and Oscar Robertson and uh, um, Dr. J and people. I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I apologize. You know, my, my knowledge of basketball is not as as football, but um, yeah, it's it's really exciting. I I do like to see Tiger get closer. It's kind yeah. of fun. You know, I mean, like yeah. I'm not. I don't follow golf, but like if I hear him next time winning, that'd be just exciting. Like if he's especially close, you know. Yeah. Um, Records were meant to be broken, and I hope he breaks them. And uh, yeah, I uh, hope he does too. I mean, he's he had that back surgery recently, mm-hmm. so hopefully he comes back from it. All right, well, Stan, thanks. Right. Um, uh, how could they contact you? Oh, a Twitter account. Yeah, uh, Stanley F. Chen. That's my Twitter. You can find me on Facebook, Stanley Chen. Yeah, yeah, just look for me on uh, Facebook or 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 my Twitter, Stanley F. Chen. So S T A N E L Y F C H E N. Yeah, S T A N L E Y F C H E N. Yeah. A Twitter account. Yeah. And like I said, if you could help his son William Chen with the music or any audio stuff, um, email me damyoshi gmail dot com. And yeah. of course, golf. Um, yeah. More importantly, the Augusta thing. Augusta yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, and, it's been uh, fun, Yoshi. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I, I well, really thanks. I mean, it. this is fun. I mean, this is the I think probably is the second or second longest one I did. It was really fun. It went really fast. Um, and also, I'm not going to name my friend's name, but uh, if you happen to be in high tech business and uh, looking for a really good salesperson who knows a lot about high tech stuff, please email me because I want to help my friend. And uh, 
um anyway uh, yeah it was fun um you're going to be leaving in four or five hours we should get some sleep but, all right um, this is fun i'm going to try to put in a couple of days and um everyone i hope uh, you enjoyed this uh, episode and uh, donating when you can i'm broke and hopefully we could bring stan next time and the next time we do it I'll, i'm going to try to read up more on golf and have a better question for you so next ex- episode hopefully um i would like to talk more about history of golf um, more about uh, uh, golf course. I like the architecture and the, oh, s- the yeah, setup. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about sort of things. So, anyway, if you have anything with uh, interesting topic to talk about in golf, email me as well. Anyway, Stan, thanks. Uh, All right. Thanks everyone for listening, and uh, talk to you guys soon. Bye.